Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Friday is here. The weekend is upon us. It's a little chilly and uh, rainy outside, but hey, it's the weekend, right? It's weather stinks. I'm thinking about this, Mark Dykton. Mark Dykton in for... Kevin Bowen, who is down in Cincinnati, Sam Fritz capably flying the ship for us this morning. As Mark goes from, is it condescending to say that you go from now the back seat to shotgun? No. Or driver's seat, whichever way you so. want to look at it. Some would say I'm in the driver's seat to the shotgun because I'm running the show. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Um, good point. You go from being the chauffeur to one of the two passengers. Yeah. How's that? Now, I'll take it. It, it would seem t- to reason for me that the Omaha AAA baseball team is hanging around Gamebridge Fieldhouse all day, right? Mm-hmm. You know why? Because the Thunder are in town. And? And there's a storm because they're the storm they're chasers. The storm chasers. So they've got to check out the Thunder. So don't they have to basically be hanging around Gamebridge Fieldhouse? They're going to be busy today. looks like it's going to rain all day. They'll be all <laughs> over central Indiana. Well, they're just... I mean, but their their problem is solved. Their riddle is solved. They're like, yeah, there's a there's a there's some thunder. It's right here. Yep, found it. <laughs> but at any rate, good morning to you on a Friday. Uh, a lot to talk about, including some interesting stuff I think going on with the pro days. And I'm the first to admit that I'm the world's biggest skeptic and cynic when it comes to these things. And I think some scouts are as well. It's kind of your job to be if you're a scout. I think. To be a little bit hesitant on the pro days and what takes place aside from the actual game on Saturdays. We'll get into that over the course of the morning this morning. You heard Rick Carlisle talking about the Pacers and whether or not they might be just kind of shelving things. We'll get into that. How about Milwaukee, who comes in here and has that really good performance on Wednesday night and then goes around last night and loses by 41? Does that have anything to do with just playing on a back-to-back or just kind of cashing it in after, hey, Drew Holiday got 51 points. Let's let him take it easy. Probably a little above. Giannis had a triple-double. Let's take it easy. Pump the brakes. We've got the playoffs. Bigger picture. Probably a little of both. Yeah. I would think. You're wearing a WrestleMania shirt? Yeah. WrestleMania weekend, my friend. Saturday and Sunday. Guess where I'll be? In front of my television. No, wait a minute. I thought WrestleMania is every weekend. No, 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 no. This is the this is the granddaddy of them all. This is the big one. This is the. Uh, but they have that all the time. Well, it's annually. It's once a year. That's it. Yeah. It's like the it's like UFC. When I worked at Hardwick's Pipe and Tobacco, which was the greatest job ever. No offense, Mark. That's all right. On Broderpool Avenue, me, Keith Steele, Larry Langley, Joe Moran, Mike Brzezet, John Talbo. It was great. Just sat there and Rob Coates and sold cigars. And I mean, it was just such a, it was like being a bartender. It was so fun. Mm-hmm. And one of the things back then, this will show you how long ago that was, in the mid to late 90s, people would videotape, VHS tape with their VCR, UFC fights, Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie. Uh-huh. And, and literally, like, one person would tape them off of, like, a satellite and then come into the cigar store and pass the tape around. They were, like, bootleg tapes. Mm-hmm. It's like, you got to see this fight, Ken Shamrock. 
And so UFC kind of took off, right? And before long, it was being televised. And then it got to the point where, you know, you'd go to a local bar or restaurant and it'd be packed on a Friday night. And you're like, why Why is there a two-hour wait for a table? Like, oh, we're showing UFC tonight. It's UFC 8. Yeah. Okay. Well, now, like every other night, it's like, it's UFC 940. Yeah. There are a lot of them. I feel like every couple of weeks, it's like, UFC 167, and then like three weeks, 166. I'm like, wait, I thought it was 167. No, 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 this is the other one. I'm like, how many how many fights are so there? So am I wrong here in the fact that it felt like, and I know UFC is still really popular, Yeah, and, and I totally respect it, and I know that people love the MMA. I mean, I, I get it. Totally understand it. Totally, you know, probably took over heavyweight boxing. I, oh, I understand yeah. that. But it, it felt to me like it got to a point where... Not necessarily going to say jump the shark, but where it just kind of oversaturated, and then the whole like intrigue of it started to dwindle a little bit. Am I am I wrong there? No, I think it had like I think its peak was when Brock Lesnar was still going, and now he's been gone for a few years now, and yeah, it does seem like it's tailed off. Ronda Rousey's left and everything, and all that stuff. So it's tailed off a little bit, I think. But I I don't know if that's also necessarily because they're on like ESPN Plus and you have to pay extra now. So maybe the streaming services have hurt it a little bit. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of UFC, but like if you go to a bar on a Friday or Saturday night, it's not overly packed. The thing that always threw me with UFC is that every fight always started so late. They're like, oh yeah, it starts at ten thirty. I'm like, it starts at ten thirty. Oh, it's yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. It's like, well, the main event's not till like 1 a.m. I'm like, well, that's, I'm not staying up for that. Yeah, it's definitely, um, just seemed like for a while there, every, everywhere I turned around, every time I turned around, there was some new, like, well, no, this is the big one. Okay. Yeah. Um, by Hard the way, a couple track. house cleaning items before we get really into it in earnest this morning. And again, good Friday morning to you. First off, uh, congratulations to our colleagues, two floors below us at WIBC who the Indiana Society of Professional Journalists recognized for their work as Best Radio Continuing Coverage in News, as well as Donnie Burgess, who won Best Radio In-Depth Reporting, Chris Davis, who won Best Radio Documentary uh, or Special, Chris Davis, Donnie Burgess, and Matt Bear winning Best Radio Newscast. So the Indiana Society of Professional Journalists making it known that when there is news happening, the place you need to turn uh, during a commercial break of this station is uh, our friends, our colleagues, and our down at WIBC. How, how do we get one of those WIBC. journalistic things? What what story would we have to do that would get that get that going? Uh, the quarterback of the Colts retires unexpectedly. Oh man, I don't want to do that story again. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do something else? Um, Indiana or Purdue's hiring a basketball coach. Okay. We'd really have to knock it out of the park. I no, it would like. have to be like some. Usually, those things it's after like some sort of a scandal. You yeah. know what I mean, mm -hmm. I mean that. To be honest with you, not not from a news standpoint, from a sports standpoint. Right. You know the sports sports stories that get you know like in depth coverage are always like some sort of a thing that no one else is covering. That sort of thing. Also wanted to thank Jack Daniels last night. Uh, we had a great time for the finals of our Papa Shot competition. Uh, District Tap on the North Side, great hosts. They put out a huge buffet spread which was fantastic and then we had the papa shot competition uh grand prize we had the final four for uh, there were three different nights of this where we had done it broderpool tavern also hosted us uh kevin was over at 56 in georgetown as he talked about with jack daniels but one of the fun things about it not only getting to try 
some of the different Jack Daniels beverages. But uh, look for it in stores right now. They already now are – they've partnered with Coca-Cola, Jack and Coke, mm-hmm. like one of the yep. most famous, iconic, you know, mixed drink brands, if you will, in the U.S. Uh, now available in cans in Coke Zero as well. Going to be hitting the store soon. So you'll see Coke Zero and regular Coke already canned up with Jack Daniels, already mixed in right there, ready to go. So be sure to look for those when you're out and about. But we had fun with that. Uh, yesterday, and a lot of people, Mark, were wearing jerseys of their favorite baseball team, like mm-hmm. the staff. Yeah. Opening day yesterday. It was. And it was your Cubs are off to a good start, right? Very good game for the Cubs. Marcus Stroman, eight strikeouts. Cubs beat the Brewers 4 nothing. That was a good showing. Stroman getting the first pitch clock violation of the Major League Baseball season. Uh, Reds, like I said, the Pirates are probably excited. They're playing the Reds. Reds are probably excited they played the Pirates. Uh, Pirates beat the Reds yesterday 5-4. to White Sox won a very exciting one. I was I was kind of locked into that one last night. They beat the uh, defending champion Houston Astros three to two on uh, ESPN. That was a fun one. There's also on our on our airwaves as well. Now Hunter Green yesterday. Yeah, what was going on there? Yeah, I, I'm just old, I guess. But I, I was in the car and I turned it on to see what was going on, and they just pulled him in the fourth. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh gosh, it must be like seven to nothing. What well, was one one game? I'm like, what? Now, I wasn't watching, so I don't know specifically if there was something off, but I'm like, is that where we are now in baseball? I mean, especially when you're the Reds and you don't have the highest of expectations and you have arguably your best player pitching on opening day, to give him only four innings, that seems a bit uh, premature that you're pulling him. I get it that you're, you know, maybe you're worried about pitch count or whatever, and I think you end up giving up. I think he was charged with two more runs after that, but still. He's your best pitcher going. Like, what? What are you doing? I don't. I don't understand. That one didn't make a lot of sense to me. But Reds now, fans, maybe if you were watching, let me know if there was something you saw that there was some issues or whatever. But yeah, it seemed a bit odd that they were pulling him that Mark, early. I feel like you had eight strikeouts too. I, feel I believe like you created a monster here yesterday, and this happens sometimes. I don't oh, always, the baseball thing. Yeah, I don't always think stuff through, right? Well, there's a shock. Um, by the way. Scotty Johnson says uh, several awards won by WIBC for the coverage for the firing of Bob Knight. Exactly. Like, it's always like a kind of a scandal side of sports. Um, so the Mike Bray farewell party, we probably missed our chance with that story. That's right. Dang it. So what, here's what we did yesterday for those that uh, were not listening yesterday. And, and where were you? Because the Major League Baseball season got underway, I just, uh, and again, sometimes I don't necessarily think things through. But I said on the air, I'm like, why don't we take the team of the teams that their over under is is set by Vegas to be fewer than 80 games, so an under five, so all the teams expected at best to go under 500. Mm-hmm. We removed the Reds and the Cubs from that. That we, though we took the Reds and Cubs out because those are our natural allegiances. So to give each of us a team to kind of root for. We each selected a team that we would keep an eye on and make note of and whatever else. And of those three teams, whichever one got the best record, had the most wins at the end of the year, uh, six-pack from the other two, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Kevin went with the Oakland A's, right? Correct. You went with Arizona. The Arizona Dimebacks, yep. And I went with the cute fella, better known as the Baltimore Orioles. Yep. Now. Once we did this, then JMV's like, hey, I'll take the Royals. Well, JMV is royalty of this station, right? I mean, we know that. Right. So, 
you know, we know who the face of the station is. So when JMV wants in, you're like, okay, that's good for our branding, right? right? Yeah. Like, like we can, like I'll, I'll, I'll gladly, readily admit, like I'm piggy tailing on that, right? Yeah. So, so JMV gets the Royals right in, in this game. Well, then yesterday I'm walking the hallway and Eddie Garrison says, "Hey, I, I want in on this. Mm-hmm. I'm all about this. I want in." And I said, "Okay." So Eddie says. I'd like, and now I can't even remember what team Eddie went with. I think he sent a text message because he was asking me, too. I was like, Jake made this the game up. Ask him. I don't know. What was it? Let's see. He said he wanted the Rockies. Okay, so Eddie gets Colorado. Now, not long after that now, (laughs) Jimmy Cook gets upset because he's got FOMO, fear of missing out. Right, right. So Jimmy Cook now is texting everybody. He wants in. I believe he wanted the Marlins. Correct. He wanted the Marlins. Okay. So Jimmy Cook gets the Marlins. Now, first off, not only are we running out of teams, we're running out of coworkers. Right. Right. Now, I guess because Sam's in here. I, yeah, we should probably ask him. Let's just assume Sam Fritz probably wants in. Sam, uh, whether you know it or not, like it or not, whatever, you're a Pennsylvania guy, right? Uh, well, born and raised in Indy, but I, I spent a considerable amount of time in Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, and I know you're from uh, that that part of Pennsylvania, way out east, right? Aren't you closer to Philly? Yeah, Lancaster. Okay. Well, you're getting the Pirates. <laughs> no say in that one. So Sam's got the Pirates. Arr. There you go. Great you know stadium, the, though. Do you know the Pirates' favorite letter of the alphabet? Uh, I want to say R. No, it's the C. <laughs> okay. uh, so and Jimmy had who? Who did we say the Marlins? <laughs> Jimmy had the Marlins. Okay. You, I want. I want to let you guys know a sign of my maturity. I've now done this program with you guys, I believe, twice during National Talk Like a Pirate Day. Mm-hmm. You and killed it. No, I've I've avoided. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm pretty sure I have the video and audio that says otherwise. Video. Oh, we stream on YouTube every day. Well, I mean, talking like a pirate has nothing to do with anything visual. You're just talking like a pirate. Oh boy. Was I walking around with a parrot on my shoulder? You could be. I'm sure you will be at some point this evening. But yeah, I, I so we got what seven people in this thing. So whoever wins is going to be needing to go to AA afterwards. Well, now, now, it's a lot of six I, packs. See, now I feel like he, here's the thing. I and I don't need credit. I'm not a guy that needs credit for anything, right? I don't. When I come up with something that that catches like wildfire, I don't. Some <clears throat> yesterday, I got a. Literally in the mail. I got a Why Not Indiana t-shirt in the mail yesterday, right? Well, that's only 10 months late. No, it's a – but you, you know how, like, I was super, like, thrilled to get it, right? And it's a cool-looking shirt. But, again, I don't – David Rose sent it to me, okay? So David Rose sends me a shirt, says, Why Not Indiana, whatever, and he's like, I just thought it would be fun, his, his daughter-in-law – um, Prince T-shirts, so they made one. I don't need credit for the brilliance of why not Indiana, okay? I mean, this thing's going to take off like wildfire. I've got it trademarked. It's going to be a big thing. I, I don't need the credit for it. The The PBR party, Uh huh. right? Yeah. When everybody's sitting around, sipping their PBR, watching games, all hanging out, meeting their fellow Kevin and Corey listeners, I I don't need to sit back. Like Andy Dufresne atop the, you know, when on the rooftop when they're yeah. when the guys well, are it and enjoying some suds. Yeah, I, 
That'd be you. That's it. That's it. I, I don't need the credit for it. It's a brilliant play. I, I don't. It's fine. I'm very comfortable in who I am. Right. I do love me some me. So, the, the the question then becomes: Do we do this one big tournament, or do we just simply let the other guys? They've taken the idea, right? Mm -hmm. And let them each let each show individually do it amongst themselves. So, in other words. Are we competing? Here's my question for you, Mark Dykton, as the producer extraordinaire of this program. Yes. In your mind, would this be a competition between me, you, and Kevin? And we have just our own little deal? And then we let, like, JMV and James do theirs? And we let, and again, not having to give me credit for the idea. And then we let Jimmy and Eddie do theirs? And Sam, and we just keep it to me, or do we do it one big hodgepodge? Can I just jump? I've been assigned to everything so far. <laughs> I've had my team assigned to me, and I've also been told who I'm competing with. Well, it's like a foster care situation. You're going with this family. We're playing musical chairs, and there ain't many seats left, Sam. So just be happy with the fact you got one with a cushion, okay? <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Uh, I mean... The Pirates are kind of cool, though, right? Yeah, like I said, they have a great stadium. I don't have much faith that they'll compete with some of these other teams. Well, but I mean, around, it's but... Not, look, we're talking about the A's and the Royals here. I mean, we're not exactly putting you into the competition of the, you know, the thickest. The mighty the Arizona right? Diamondbacks. Look out. So which way do you do it, though? I mean, we've kind of already accepted that everybody can come in now. So I feel like now we're, you know, you invite them in and all of a sudden you're like, actually. Well, I don't like this because it's my idea and I want all the credit okay, for Okay, well, then, then there you go. That's Modesty I, is. I admit it. When people see modesty in the dictionary, it's Jay Query's picture right next to it. You don't think I'm modest? Oh. I, I just said you're in the dictionary. I have a lot of pictures of myself in my residence. <laughs> That's the least surprising thing you've told me all day. What's, why does that surprise you? I, I assume your your house is just pictures of you, and then just if there's not a picture, there's a mirror somewhere. <laughs> oh, hey, look at that guy. Think about this. I, my. my I, ha I do have a few mirrors, including some full-length ones. Oh, boy. And now the only thing uh, there besides me is a black cat. Now, if I walk in front of him, and or if he walks in front of me and I trip and then I break the mirror, how many years of bad luck And you that? fall under a ladder, too? Boy, that'd be something. <laughs> Can you imagine? How's Boo going to be this weekend? Because aren't you heading to Texas? It's a good question. IndyCar this weekend in Texas. This is, um, you know, look, I adopted him one week ago today, and he's really – kind of coming out of his shell and getting comfortable. Now he's he's actually out and about when I get home. He's not hiding anymore. Um, and I do feel bad, to be honest with you, because that's a big adjustment. Uh, I have a couple of people that are going to stop by, mm -hmm. so they claim. Um, Sam Rumsa, who does IndyCar stuff with us, is going to stop by my place. Shannon's going to stop by and, like, and now I feel bad for Boo because that means he's going to have to watch two hours of The Real Housewives of whatever county on Bravo. Well, you just tell Sam he can't watch The Real Housewives. What's that? You just tell Sam I'm he can't. watch Shannon? I know. <laughs> I got you. Sam probably as well. I don't know. You know? Well, I just wanted to make a note here that I was not asked to check on Boo. I'm just making a note of that real quick. Well, you've got plenty going on. That's okay. But I'm going to be at Bucky's. Would you like anything from the Bucky's in Texas? Well, I mean, I was just at four of them a week ago. No, I mean, I'm fine. I would like you to find this rattlesnake jerky that you keep talking about because I went to four separate Bucky's and I asked, you have the rattlesnake jerky? And they you looked know, at me as I if I was it, wearing no pants. Now, Excuse me? They looked at me as if I was wearing no pants. Well, why, why weren't you? I, it was hot. I, 
now that I think about it, I think, and I apologize that at times my travel, I get it confused, okay? But I think what I was thinking of was this. There's, You've been to Wisconsin, right? Yes. My, but my two brothers live there. Okay. You know the Mars Cheese Castle? Uh-huh. Of course. So the Mars Cheese Castle is nothing more than a tourist trap of grocery stores. But it's an exotic food grocery store that, I, I mean, they've got cool stuff for sure. But it's a higher-end grocer that specializes in hard-to-find or unique foods. And then, of course, cheeses from all over the state of Wisconsin. And the Mars Cheese Castle is the place, I think, where I bought the rattlesnake jerky. It was horrible. Oh. Well, I'm glad you were pushing that on me. Hey, you should try this rattlesnake jerky. It's really good. You should go get it. You should go find it. And I kept saying, I can't find it. Oh, I got to look harder. Well, apparently, I wasn't even in the right state or store. Because you said Bucky's. Again, once I got to thinking about it, I'm like, wait a minute. Because they have like a wall of jerky, just like Bucky's does. Uh So I think that's where I got it confused. Now, the... Rattlesnake jerky is so bad that if you watch Naked and Afraid, which is a very underrated show, mm-hmm. on Naked and Afraid, oftentimes the people will, like snakes are one of the the better protein sources, and these people haven't eaten in like nine days, and even and they, they get the, the snake and they're like super excited, and then they, you know, they dehydrate it and they put it over fire, and so mm-hmm. now they're going to eat it, and you can tell they, they take like two bites of it, and they're like, yeah, I don't know that I would buy this at the Mars Cheese Castle, and I haven't eaten in nine days. It's I see little, what you mean. It's a little salty as well. Yeah, I've had fried rattlesnake. I don't know if I don't know if that was legit or not, but that was in Arizona back in the day. Tasted good, but now, I don't know if it, you have the Diamondbacks. I know, and you're eating Arizona snakes. Yep, yeah, you're a cannibal. I know. Well, cannibal. I don't know if that's a proper terminology. I think it is. Well, uh, Stephen Holder going to join us at eight thirty this morning. Greg Regstra at eight a.m. as well. We'll probably put a bow tie on the talk from. Uh, college basketball, I guess the Indy 11 getting underway as well. Weird time of year because you've got a little of everything going on. I mean, you got the NBA winding down. you got Major League Baseball starting up. you got the Final Four this weekend. Um, I almost feel like, Mark, the Final Four, and again, this is kind of what happens, I think. The tournament is so great. There's just nothing like it. And people get so into it and – Everybody has fun with their brackets and everything else. Like I told you, a lot of brackets are already are already claimed. Yep. Because so many people had Connecticut let me rephrase that. Of the of the larger office pools, like people that are listening right now and they're like, "Yeah, we did an office pool here at uh Vandalay Architecture Firm, right?" And they're like there are three people that are still alive in the pool. Because three of them had Connecticut in the Final Four. There might be an occasional person that had Miami in the Final Four. But I, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a pool where somebody had San Diego State or Florida Atlantic. Right. Okay? No, I'm, I'm in a pool with uh, Kyle Wells. He used to work here. He runs it. He's got a group of 31 of us in there. Of the 31, how many people do you think still have a a one of the four teams still alive? Four. One. Yeah, and it's probably Connecticut, right? Correct. And they probably have Connecticut. Of course, if there's only one, then the pool's over. Well, at this point, yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's point over. totals. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So, and then the pool that I'm in with a group from high school, we've already paid it out because mm-hmm. three people, three, a, a grand total of three people, Rob Whitaker, 
Claire Jacobs and Amy Alden, Amy Alden Yoder. Three people had Connecticut in the final four. All three of them had Connecticut losing in the semifinals. So that the, there's no way. Right. So that's it. It's over. Yeah. And I think that that's taking place for a lot of people. So the tournament itself is so captivating to people. And we always talk about how we love the upsets. But the reality is, I think from a national standpoint, there would be a lot more conversation about it right now if it was Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and Gonzaga. Or obviously around here, Purdue or Indiana. But I'm saying from a national standpoint. Once you get the week off, you're like, oh, I forgot it's Florida Atlantic and San Diego State. Is that right? And then this always happens as well. They do one shining moment. Mm-hmm. And when they do one shining moment, you'll see like I'm, the shot that Furman hit to beat Virginia. They'll show that in one shining moment on Monday night, and it will feel like six months ago. Yeah, you're like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I mean, Fairleigh Dickinson beating Purdue. Like they'll show that, and you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that feels like too, that feels like the NFL season was more recent. Correct. That. It's yeah. crazy mm-hmm. because so much happens. So much happens. But Stephen Holder going to join us at 8 o'clock uh, yesterday. Pro days, or at 8.30, excuse me. Uh, Rick's Rick's right at 8 o'clock. Uh, pro days yesterday, Anthony Richardson. Um, I, I don't know if you heard. He actually threw a football and hit uh, a ceiling fan at the top of the Oh, that's all stadium. I saw on my Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Did you see he hit the roof? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's not a wide receiver. <laughs> there are a lot of ways to look at that. We'll talk to him as well. Stephen uh, was at the owners' meetings out in Arizona, so we'll have that discussion as well as we get you caught up overnight on the other side you're listening to kevin and Corey on a friday good morning to you weekends upon us it's a friday here 93.5 107.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you Oh, how the world turns in the National Basketball Association. For example, two nights ago, Milwaukee comes in and Drew Holiday drops 51 as the Bucks get a resounding win over Indiana, putting themselves still or staying in contention for the number one overall seed with the Boston Celtics. Then they turn around a night later. That would be last night. Drew Holiday has six. And Boston, 140-99 to win over the Milwaukee Bucks last night. As for the Pacers themselves hosting the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight at 7 o'clock, much like that game against Milwaukee, Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton among those who watched it from the sidelines as the Pacers' losing streak extended to four. Question for head coach Rick Carlisle is, Turner and Halliburton, are they now spectators for the rest of the season? What say you, coach? They'll be listed however they're listed game to game. And, you know... But if you're asking if it's um, possible that they don't play anymore, yeah, it's possible. So it's not impossible that one of them would play, but, you know, we're, we're just going game to game with it. So, in other words, yeah, probably both out for the year. Uh, <laughs> between Boston and Milwaukee and then the other game of the night, New Orleans and Denver. Mark Dykton, would you like to guess who had the high point total last night in the association? I mean, I'll go Nikola Jokic. Okay, that's a great guess. Uh, it's not a good one, but I mean, it's not the right one, but it was a good, great cast. Uh, Jason Tatum had 40 last night. Jalen Brown had 34. Boston Giannis with 24. Brandon Ingram, 31 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists in the New Orleans Nuggets game. Baseball's opening day yesterday. All 30 teams in action. 
Cubs blanked the Brewers 4-0. Pirates topped the Reds 5-4. The White Sox edged the world champion Houston Astros 3-2 as well. Seattle Mariners shut out the Cle- uh, the Cleveland Guardians 3-0. And did the Card- I know the Cardinals played. Yes, they lost to the Toronto Blue Jays 10-9. You know, Blue Jays at uh, bird feeders are apparently like super mean. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Like, if you have a bird feeder, you don't want Blue Jays around. Blue Jays are very, they're, they're like pests. Hmm. They're beautiful birds. But what about Cardinals, though? Are they nice? They're very smart. Yeah? They, very smart. Especially Cardinals, when, when it comes to the bird feeder, Cardinals are not only the smartest, but those that watch the Cardinals and and observe, like in, in bird watching, it's the people that watch the Cardinals that understand bird watching more than any other group of birds. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew that or not. A lot of people in jean shorts watch Cardinals. That's all I know. Uh, a little bit slower today on uh, baseball. White Sox and Astros play again. Also, Mets, Marlins, Colorado Rockies, San Diego Padres, Diamondbacks, Dodgers. Let's go Diamondbacks. Guardians and Mariners as well. Okay, Diamondbacks yesterday. Hang on. So, Kevin's Oakland Athletics won. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Baltimore Orioles, cute fella, 10-9 over Boston, right? And then the Diamondbacks... They uh, lost. lost. Yeah. So you're lost. so you're the front runner right now for the the beer. Uh, JMV. I, I I can't figure out if JMV is part of our group or, or we're gonna shuttle him to the other group of castoffs that are playing in our game. You know, grabbing the tail, if you will. But the Royals, did they win or lose? No, they lost two nothing to the Twins. Okay, so then he's right there in the thick as well. Uh, also tonight, we'll see if it gets played. Actually, you wouldn't be the front runner because you want to go best record, not worst record. Right, exactly. That's what I thought you meant. Uh, we'll see if it gets played tonight. The Indianapolis Indians open their season. They take on the Omaha Storm Chasers. First pitch scheduled for 7.05, but I, Mother Nature looks like it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. Well, of season. course, the Storm Chasers are here. I know. I mean, there's the a thunder reason they're in town. in town. The Storm Chasers. <laughs> yeah, this is this is premeditated. Perfect time for me to be grabbing a flight later, right? Yeah, yeah, perfect. I mean, like, we're not No delays delayed. for you, sir. Uh, college basketball final four is set. It all gets underway tomorrow night, six oh nine p.m. on CBS. Game number one: Dusty Mays, Florida Atlantic, taking on the team that nobody in the final four has ever talked about, San Diego State. And then after that, it is I like how they listed at eight forty, and the most optimistic thing of all time, eight forty nine p.m. Actually, Miami and Connecticut is game number two in the final four. Uh, Mark Dykton, if you had to call it right now. National championship game will be who versus who? FAU Miami. Think Miami, huh? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. I go that way. That Florida special. Okay. What about you? I'll go San Diego State Miami. Okay. Connecticut's playing so well. They are undoubtedly the favorite. But I, I just, for whatever reason, it just seems to me like a lot of times teams that just get white hot to get to the final four then all of a sudden something happens where the brakes are applied mm-hmm. women's final four tonight down. by the way as well lsu takes on virginia tech at seven o'clock and then caitlin clark and iowa take on south carolina at nine okay now who's gonna be give me crazy kim mulkey and uh lsu against caitlin clark and iowa okay I'll, I'll go lsu and south carolina okay LSU in South Carolina. Mark it down. Uh, when we come back, speaking of Florida, there were some uh, interesting things that happened yesterday in the state of Florida. And did the Colts take notice? And also, there's some criticism of Jim Mersey that I think is fair, but maybe a little bit misdirected. We'll answer that. And then Greg Rakestraw joins us at 8 o'clock as well. It's Kevin Aquari on a Friday, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on a Friday. Jake Query here, Mark Dykton as well, Sam Fritz on the big board. Mark, where do you stand on pro days in terms of the amount of stock you put in them? Uh, not much, because I feel like the pro days are kind of designed for you to be successful. So when they go haywire, like apparently they did with Jalen Carter, they usually raises some some eyebrows because you're like, well, you should be succeeding in this. You you've got your teammates that you're playing against, and it's kind of kind of designed for you to look good in front of scouts. So uh, not too much, I don't think. What about you? I, I tend to think the same. You know, there have been stories. I, I guess where I get cautiously optimistic, or you could say cynical, whichever way you want to look at it, but where I get pause is this, and that is that we have seen players that have elevated themselves. I, I think it's more often that a player's profile elevates because of a pro day than a player's profile drops, like you're talking about with Carter. But but those that I've heard of that when you hear the legendary stories of where they sold scouts and personnel on what they did with the, the raw skill set at the pro day, more often than not, it's players that then you hear about those stories because they are told to cement or validate that player having been drafted because their career didn't pan out. But you should have seen what they did in the private workouts. Yeah. And I've heard, you know, Jamarcus Russell comes to mind. I mean, Jamarcus Russell was a guy that when he was, yeah, I mean, he had a. He was one of those kind of Johnny-come-latelys in college, if I recall correctly, where it wasn't like he was a household. You know, C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young both are guys that we've known about for a while, and they've been on the radar for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. When all of a sudden you get the guy that's like, man, this guy's skyrocketing up the board because he just he put on a show. You know, a lot Heath Shuler. You know, guys like that, then they get drafted, and it's like, well, what happened? Then This guy can't play dead. Well, but you should have seen his workouts. Okay. What did he do on Saturdays? What did he do on tape? Right. What did he do in games? That's what I was going to go to. If, if a guy doesn't look good at pro day, well, are you going to go off of that, or are you going to go what he did during the season when the right. games caught, counted for something? So right. that's where I always kind of discount pro days a little but bit. But apparently Anthony Richardson had a really impressive pro day, right? Yeah. Made all the throws, mm -hmm. finished his workout with a 72-yard throw that hit where it needed to hit, and then you know did a backflip and then said, that's the last time I'm doing a backflip. He's younger. That's the other thing is he's, you know, what is he, 20? Something like that, yeah. I mean, almost four years, I think, younger than Will Levis, three and a half. Does that come into play? I am more just, scouts, this is maybe different. But I think one of the areas where, Things have changed so much in terms of the NFL draft are twofold. Number one, there is so much more coverage of it. 
And I get it. I mean, people love it. The NFL is is the 800-pound gorilla. I, I totally understand all of it. But I think that the ubiquitous nature and coverage of the draft almost year-round has escalated the amount of overzealous and therefore not totally accurate prognostication of the participants. And I think there are a lot of people that are like, everyone wants to show that they have the extra little bit in their eye about a player. And as a result of that, I think there is sometimes some over-analysis that people are trying too hard. Oh, I think there absolutely is because the, people have to fill TV time and radio time and all that stuff. So you go off of, well, this, you know, the college football season has been over for three months, but now let's break down the tape and let's, oh, I, I've got, I've got a dark horse here on my mock draft who wants to see it. I've got Hendon Hooker going third overall and, all that stuff. So I think again, it is over analysis because people try to are trying to fill time, and you're trying to just kind of you know wade through the muck until you get to the NFL draft. So there's always over analysis, or all of a sudden this guy's dropping off of boards. Right. Well, how okay. how that happen? Let me read you the latest reports. Okay, just for example, about Anthony Richardson. Richardson lit up uh, lit up the NFL combine and tested as the most athletic quarterback ever. Okay. He's still a raw prospect, needs to develop more as a passer, but his arm strength and upside are there. New Colts head coach Shane Steichen was with Justin Herbert during his rookie year with the Chargers and helped to develop Jalen Hurts during his last two in Philadelphia into a borderline MVP candidate. There isn't any better head coach fit for Richardson than Shane Steichen. The question is whether he'll be ready to play right away and how patient Jim Irsay and the Colts are willing to be. Let me read that last statement for you. The question is whether he'll be ready to play right away and how patient Jim Irsay and the Colts are willing to be. I'm going to read one more time. How patient Jim Irsay and the Colts are willing to be. Uh, Jim Irsay's been patient for four years now. Yeah, I would say he's got patience to go with. But I think it's running out. We'll ask Steven yeah. about it coming up in 10 minutes, but uh, or in, uh, excuse me, at 8.30, we'll ask Greg about it too. But I, I think Ursay, Ursay, something interesting happened at the beginning of the week. Jim Ursay has given that patience, to your point, Mark. Mm -hmm. Chris Ballard's been, he has benefited from that patience. He's been given plenty of opportunities, plenty of chances, plenty of time. But when you're talking about that patience, Jim Irsay at the owners' meeting basically said, well, there have to be some expectations now. So instead of, hey, you know, these things take time, you know, and this guy's, he's a, he's a, I mean, Michael Jordan didn't win right away. Now, all of a sudden, we've gone from Michael Jordan didn't win right away to I've got Michael Jordan, so I expect the wins to start happening you know, start, start uh -huh. taking place. I think Chris Ballard knows that Jim Mercer has been patient, has been patient, but I think the clock ticks as soon as you draft a quarterback and that patience shifts to now. And so I think that Chris Ballard has to have reservation about a quarterback that may not get him results right away. A week ago, I would have told you that I thought Chris Ballard would have loved that because that buys him even more time. 
But I think subliminally, Jim Mercer has sent the message, Mark, to Chris Ballard, which was, I gave you all the time you needed and all the benefit of the doubt to stave the process of the immediacy of going out and getting a franchise quarterback in the draft. But I gave you a lot of goodwill. It's up. Mm-hmm. The time's now, and I'm not going with projects. Who are you going to get me? And and Richardson, I think that to me is the double-edged sword for the Colts because I think they're very interested and intrigued by Richardson. But at the same time, the guy that's interested and intrigued by him and loves the physical traits of him may know that he is absolutely putting all of his eggs in a basket that may not work out for him. Well, I think they're also the the other problem is is you've kind of you've kind of given yourself a project to work with because I feel like one way or the other, sitting at four, you're going to have either Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, and I think most people that have watched tape on them have said, yeah, these two have potential, but they're projects. They're not C.J. Stroud. They're not Bryce Young. And I don't think C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young are going to be available for the Colts at four, which means that you're dealing with a project no matter which way you go. And if you go, don't go with any of them and you go to Hendon Hooker or somebody like that, again, another project, another wait and see. So I think the Colts are almost back against the wall when it comes to projects because they're going to probably have to take one whether they want to or not. Then they've been comfortable staying at four up until now. Chris Ballard has kind of said, well, we like... We like all the guys or whatever. Well, not all the guys are going to pan out. I think that'd be pretty rare if all four of them, all top four quarterbacks hit. So you got to be looking at, well, are we going to take Anthony Richardson, who has shown a lot of flashes in pro days and the, at the combine? Are we going to take Will Levis, who's got a, a cannon for an arm? But people are questioning his, you know, mental toughness upstairs and everything like that. It, it's going to be interesting because if he's putting his na- stamp of approval on one of these guys, Apparently, Jim Mercy is going to be expecting those guys to be the next Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning, and I don't know if that's that's good expectations to have for a young rookie quarterback, especially one that's considered to be a project. Now, the other side of it, and I'd mentioned this, you know, yesterday, I actually think this is pretty cool. Um, Jim Mercy had been kind of touting the fact, kind of teasing this story, if you will. Um, Ursay on Thursday, it was announced the Miami Seaquarium Have, they now have an agreement with an organization called Friends of Lolita to free a 57-year-old whale known by her Native American name of Toki to free her back into the wild. And Jim Irsay apparently was a main catalyst, I would assume also from a financial standpoint, uh, of getting the whale released back into the wild, which is wonderful. Now, I am not a marine biologist, but... Okay. I immediately thought of Seinfeld, of course. <laughs> but Does anyone here a marine biologist? I'm not a marine biologist, but I, I would I would imagine there has to be some concern as to how, after 50 years in captivity, a whale's – how much natural instinct they still have to be able to survive in the wild. I was thinking the exact same thing. I, I mean, that's – I even going to know what to do out there? I would imagine, hopefully, there are marine biologists that are able to understand or facilitate that, but – at any rate, I have seen people that have said, wait a minute, so Jim Mercer has money to like be freeing whales but not go get Lamar Jackson? 
in that case, I think that's kind of an unfair criticism because of the fact that Ursay is doing something that he he feels is in the best for the like the world and the environment. Mm-hmm. And I, I obviously I have a shared passion and empathy and and love for animals. Admittedly, even though I realize a whale is a mammal, but um, having said that, I've said before though, Mark kind of a cousin to this but not necessarily the exact same thing but if Jim Mercer wants to put his foot down and say Lamar Jackson's a wonderful player but I'm not going to pay that much in guaranteed money I think he has every right to do that and I don't even disagree with him per se Uh but he has to understand that from a fan base standpoint when the offseason storylines are predominantly about all of the different things that he has purchased through collectibles people are going to think that's super cool until all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, you paid how much for a drum set from who, but you're not willing to pay that for a quarterback? I personally do think that they are apples and oranges, but I can understand why the fan base is going to keep going back to that. Especially a fan base that's seen free agency start multiple years and the Colts just wait for the second, third, and fourth wave guys. They don't really go out and get the big fish. And I think that's as... Nice pun there. I know, thank you. I think that's as much philosophical in terms of approach as it is necessity financially though yeah that's true but it's i think gonna that's be, an x's and o's approach yeah but there is going to be cynics out there that see that news about the whale and say well i know yeah and, and i get it i mean yeah you can't i can see it from both ways where it's a great you know great uh philanthropical endeavor by ursa to do that but i can also see why fans are like yeah what about your nfl franchise one of 32 owners and we're always just sitting here kind of you know second banana to a lot of his purchases and stuff i get it but again it's his money when's the last time you ate a second banana i mean i had been i had a banana on the way into work but but a second would be a bit much maybe maybe later sugar you know that yeah and potassium granted yeah it's better than the cereal i was eating for a little bit but i haven't had a second banana yet Oh, honey, that's yours. Those the heart-shaped ones or just regular circles? There's a, every once in a while, there's just a little heart in there for a surprise. I get my little uh, – I buy, here's what bothers me. The Honey Nut Cheerios, the little self-serve that you can see on YouTube here that I'm yeah. holding up, they sell them in four packs mm-hmm. five days in a week. Yeah. So, you know, come Doesn't on. Doesn't make sense. So basically what that means is I've got to buy enough of them that then I have an eight-week supply. Of well, that was like I bought, I bought a 24-pack of hot dogs yesterday, and then the buns count was 16. I guess if I bought five four-packs, I'd have a four-week supply. But you, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like Greg Gregstra joins us next. It's Kevin Aquary. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eight o'clock hour underway. Song takes me back. To where takes me back to college to the movie theater which watching back free in. willy jump over those rocks and be free and join That's his right. family you gotta hope that toki is that how they say it i think so 57 years old 50 of those in captivity being released back to the wild so i would assume that they know like how you make that i don't know how you make that like you know you can't like exactly slowly reintroduce back into yeah. the wild right you're just off and running this is a koi fish you'll see a lot of those <laughs> yeah 
But um, but it's a cool story. Just hope it turns out with a happy ending. Joining us now on the Payless Stickers Hotline, he had a busy weekend that we'll begin with and recapping. It's been a couple of days since we talked to him. But Greg Rakestraw, in terms of the high school state finals, um, I don't know that there were any overwhelming like surprises or shocks, but just to kind of put a put a bow tie on it, what were the storylines that most impressed you with the high school state finals? You know, obviously, you know, the matchup between Zane Dowdy and, and Floyd Badunga as far as the 4A game is concerned, and Ben Davis, you know, completing that perfect season to be 33-0. and I thought in the morning session, you know, I think most of us thought Lutheran would win, not necessarily by 31 points or, or scored 97 points. Um, and, and, and maybe Blackhawk Christian beating Linton Stockton was a slight surprise. We thought that'd be a very competitive game. Uh, but overall... Fantastic crowds, especially for the evening session, and two really good games to kind of cap off uh, the season in terms of the 3A and 4A contests uh, at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. You know, you talked about, and I thought he was played really well. Benunga, you could certainly see the talent. Um, And Ben Davis, I just thought, Greg, and you tell me if if I'm off base here, because I didn't watch from horn to horn per se, but when I did tune in, I, I felt like people got what they wanted to see or what the expectation was, and that is that you saw one guy that clearly is a very dynamic talent that at times flashed that talent, and then you had another team that maybe doesn't have any 8s, 9s, or 10s on its roster, but has a bunch of guys that are no lower than a 7 and really played well together, and and that's what people wanted to see, right? The ultimate team, and not to take anything away from the other kids for Kokomo, that's not what I'm saying, um, but I feel like both sides of what they were billed to be perform to that level correct you know you could it's fair to say that the best player on the floor um and and again certainly from a a future standpoint but the most dynamic player on the floor played for kokomo the next best five players on the floor played for ben davis and that has what that is what made this ben davis team what they were you know zane dowdy was your leading scorer and clearly he was their most impactful player in the game on saturday night but it would almost be like on different nights, different guys would take turns kind of being the alpha and being the guy that would go out and dominate. They had one time all year where a player had more than 23 points in a game because no player averaged more than 14 points. That was Zane Dowdy, and Zane had 20 in the championship game. But kind of the one superlative performance they had was kind of in a runaway game was their Bloomington North semi-state game that was a running clock by the end of the third quarter Sheridan Sharp had 31 points in that game I can think of you know what Mark Zachary did in the Marion County final or the Hall of Fame classic but it, it was the team the team the team every step of the way for that Ben Davis bunch Greg Greg Rickstraw joining us on the Payless Liggers hotline on Kevin and Quarry. Greg was that was that one of the more who's who crowds when it comes to college coaches that you've been in a, a part of, or is that uh, that kind of par for the course? There's always a um, there, there's always a, a handful of coaches at the state finals. Never that high of a concentration, all sitting next to each other, and and the IHSA has kind of now changed, revamped how they do like the the courtside seating, media seating, et cetera. So it looks a little bit different, uh, kind of after the pandemic than it did beforehand. So it used to be those guys would occupy like the baseline seats. Now they've got the courtside seats like right next to me, like our four-person table for for the television crew. 
It kind of kind of breaks up the old, you know, Showtime Lakers seating. So yes, to my left, you would have uh, Mike Woodson, uh, John Calipari, Dwayne Casey, Tom Izzo, Mike Lewis, Juwan Howard. To my right, Matt Crenshaw, John Kaufman. Um, you know, numerous other kind of mid-major coaches down down the right-hand side of, of, of Matt Graves. I mean, Indiana State was there. Um, it, it was the biggest who's who in my 20 years of covering the state finals that I can remember. You know, Greg, as I was looking at it, Zane Dowdy had originally committed to Valparaiso. They had a coaching yep. change. He exercised his option to reopen his his recruiting. And so far, the schools that I've seen, the ilks of uh, IUPUI, Southern Illinois, um, Ball State has recently offered him, Eastern Kentucky, so schools of that range. And I'm watching him, and I'm thinking to myself, and Greg, I want you to tell me if, if you agree with this because you would have watched these guys play. But I'm watching Zane Dowdy, and I'm like, this feels like the kind of guy that absolutely is going to be one of those stories four years from now in March on a Ball State or an Eastern Kentucky or whatever that is playing for like a 10 or 11 seeded mid-major that is – 28 and five and they're saying yeah it's a really experienced and smart ball club and here's a guy that you know went head to head against Flory Redunga back when he was in high school and he's going to be a Matt Howard type player that is going to just be a solid really darn good anchor for a program somewhere very much so um to Zane's credit um and it's, and it's, it's almost like the same thing about Flory Badunga. he knows what he is and doesn't try to do what what he's not so he's not he's as of right now he's not a pick and pop guy. I'm not sure I saw Zane take a shot from more than ten feet away in the you know double digit number of times that I watched Ben Davis play this year. He knew what his role was. His role was to make post moves, and it was refreshing to see that you know it was old school basketball. Ben Davis basically they were going to post touch every time down the floor and kind of play off of that. He had shooters around him. His job was to make a move, jump hook, step back, um, but then go get the ball. You know, he and Sean Arnold were so good at extending possessions for that Ben Davis team. And OESBA shot blocker as well. So he's a kid that knows his role. Um, again, is, is he a Big Ten level player? Probably not. But do I think that maybe he can even play at an even higher level than some of the offers that he has had at this point? Um, I would agree with that. Although I'm not going to lie, I'd love to be calling his games at IUPUI next year if that's the decision that he would make. But wherever he goes, I wish nothing but the best because he's been really fun to watch these last couple of years. Well, switching over to the college hardwood rake, let's get your uh, final four predictions. Florida Atlantic against San Diego State and Miami UConn. Who do you have playing in the national championship game? Uh, I would say probably UConn and San Diego State, but I'm not going to lie. I'd be rooting for Miami and Florida Atlantic. I want to see the guys that have local ties do well. You know, much as I saw, you know, Zane Dowdy play a, a truckload this year, the same would have been said for Nigel Pack, uh, his junior and especially his senior years. And I always thought that he was very much an undervalued commodity coming out of high school. So I'm so happy for the success he has had at Miami and want to see him do well. You know, for Florida Atlantic, John L. Davis was a kid that, you know, kind of, you know, even though he was the same class as Nigel Pat, class of 2020, you know, John L.'s Q rating was 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 damaged so much by uh, the, the COVID pandemic. 
You know, I really thought that Gary, 21st century, would have won the 1A championship, and more people would have known about him uh, had they been able to finish the tournament. Uh, more people would have known about him had they been able to play the Indiana-Kentucky All-Star Series that year. He's clearly an All-Star. So he's a kid out of Gary that not many people outside of Gary, you know, knew about or had seen play. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him that he's getting this stage. Obviously, Dusty May, you know, being a Southern Indiana guy, you know, you're, you're cheering for him and rooting for him. Uh, and, and you've got, you know, this is the, the only matchup I can think of in the, in the final four that is anywhere close to this is Butler and VCU playing in 2011. Now, hopefully we get a better championship game uh, than we got in 2011. But knowing that you've either got a Mountain West school or a Conference USA on their way to the American Athletic Conference school, I think that's the future destination for Florida Atlantic. Um, that that one of those two is playing for a national championship, I think, is really super cool. So, again, if you ask me in my heart of hearts, I'd probably say UConn and San Diego State. I'm rooting for it to be the other way around. Greg, does it feel like college basketball now that that we're going to have – like Nigel Pack's a good example, okay? I think there are a lot of people that say like, oh, Nigel Pack, you know, was a really good player for Lawrence Central and I thought he should have been recruited to a higher level, yada, yada, yada. And, and maybe his recruiting was stunted a little bit. I don't know this, but I don't know what he did on the AAU circuits, but that – does it does it feel to you because it does to me like recruiting has now become almost more of a summer evaluation period than when a guy is playing with the school name on his jersey? Which old guy yelling at clouds here? I I, I prefer it to see what a guy's like when he's playing with his high school classmates and representing his school than representing his his latest AAU travel team. But it's been that way for a while. I know, um, but it's and it's and it's not going back, right? Correct. And I and I and I and I'm very much with you. Um, and 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 you know, I actually went to a big school. I'll be you know, time I can't stay. Obviously, had a great year this year, but one that was down, unfortunately, uh, for Bruce Weber. You know, kind of at the time that that he went there. Um, but but still. You recruited a Big Twelve. I'm not a school. I'm not sure you're under recruited uh, in a guy like Nigel. But absolutely, um, it is it is more summer based, AAU based than it is kind of what you do during your high school season. Yeah, I just, you know, part of it is I want to see how a guy responds when he's surrounded by players that maybe are not as good as he. Not only mm-hmm. on the court, but just how he handles and carries himself with that. Sure, sure, I, it can go a long way, right? I would agree with that. Absolutely. Rick, I want to get your thoughts on the Colts uh, to this point in the offseason. How have you evaluated what they've done? They've added or subtracted. And then how do you think they're looking at the draft when it comes to quarterbacks? However you want to answer well, the, that question. Well, you know, it's it's obviously an incomplete grade in terms of so much is going to be kind of the last chess piece that gets moved as to what quarterback are you taking it for? Are you moving up to three uh, to kind of get the guy you want? exactly how is the board going to fall knowing that two quarterbacks are coming off the board at one and two to Carolina and Houston. So, you know, I, I, I like the Minshew move. Um, everything else, it's, it's, it's kind of wait and see mode. Um, and, and, you know, it, is there the outside chance that they're not drafting a quarterback at three or four because they're bringing in somebody else to play the quarterback position? I just don't think that's the case. Um, but you have to acknowledge that possibility. So, 
the way that it's playing out now, you kind of get the feeling that this is a, a, a couple three-year process they're about to start you know, kind of going through with this team, which is something that maybe we had kind of prepared for mentally in 2012 and it didn't work out that way in very much a, a positive aspect. But if we're, if we're handing out grades, they'd get an I right now because there's no way you can put the pieces together without, without knowing whom the quarterback is going to be, and we'll have that answer about four weeks from now. Did you ever get a W when you were in college, Craig, a withdrawal? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of needed to, to either keep a scholarship or stay on an athletic team. There were a couple of W's in my academic record, absolutely. Yeah. What about I? Did you ever get an incomplete? I did not get an incomplete because I got those W's instead. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to guess that means no F's, right? No, no F's. Uh, I, I, may, I, think, I think the floor for me was a C-. minus. So let's just say that my academic record in college that I had figured out by the time I was a sophomore or junior Hey, that like near 4.0 that I had in high school that got me to college, uh, I'm a radio and TV major. As long as I can keep my academic scholarship, a 3-4 is perfectly fine uh, from, from my college days. Yeah, I, I, I can certainly relate. I, I, you know, the, the withdrawal I had, I had an entire semester of withdrawals because I got mono. That's a decent excuse though, right? Legitimate excuse, yes. I mean, it was brutal, man. It was great, great weight loss program, but I slept like twenty-two hours a day. It was, um, I was like a cat. It was unbelievable. Um, if it's a weight loss program, you have my attention. By the way, speaking <laughs> of cats, how's how's Boo doing? Boo is good, thank you. Boo, actually, last night we had a breakthrough, Greg. I, I adopted Boo one week ago, uh, yesterday, and last night the the first night that he he learned how to get up into the bed two days ago, uh, which wasn't bad, except for that. About every 30 minutes, he was doing a wellness check. Um, last night, to my recollection, I, either I'm a really heavy sleeper now or he learned the lesson and he just simply slept in a little bed that's off for him on the side and didn't bother me. So that's good. Nice. He's he's loving it. Now, I, I, this weekend, I go to Texas, so we're going to find out. I mean, I may well come home to him holding a lighter and smoldering behind him. I don't know. You know what I mean? We're going we're gonna to find out how he does on his own for the weekend. But thank you for asking. Um with the Colts, and I'm going to ask Stephen this as well. Greg Greg Rakestra is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We talked about this with Zach Kiefer this week. I think it's an interesting storyline to keep an eye on. Do you get the sense, Greg, that Jim Irsay is starting to start to drop the subtle hints that the clock is now? And by that, I mean... I think he does believe in Chris Ballard a great deal, but I think he's been very patient with Chris Ballard, and I think that it's important for Jim Ursay that the fans understand that that patience is not going to be forever. To, to a certain degree, yes, but I think you also have to acknowledge kind of where you are and in the, in, in the moves that you have kind of made. Um, and I realize there is a lot shorter of a runway for a first-round draft pick a quarterback than there used to be. And let's face it, you know, you, you have to go back to Jeff George before you really had that incubation period that never really clicked. You know, by year you saw flashes in year number one. By year number two, Peyton Manning won 13 games. In year number one of Andrew Luck, you won 11 games and you were a playoff team. And so there, there, there isn't that recent track record in terms of, okay, new quarterback, it's going to take a little while. But kind of look at the way everything else is kind of, you know, stacked up for the Colts. Again, the, the, the expectations are not through the roof, whoever the quarterback is going to be. Now, again, let me cite the last time, and not just the, the numbers, but I vividly remember being at training camp in Anderson in August of 2012, and you know Jim has one or two 
kind of preseason impromptu press conferences from the golf cart, you know, on the sidelines. And in 2012, when asked about his expectations, he goes, you know, I think by the end of the season we can be competing for a wild card spot. And people, you know, were laughing out loud. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Well, it turns out he was right. That was an 11-win football team. And we all thought it was going to be about a 5-win football team. So if Jim has different expectations than Chris, maybe that shouldn't be surprising. We have the history that, that can tell us something like that. Um, again, I, I want to see whom they draft before I then say, hey, I, I think this is more of rebuild mode. But that's the general feeling that I get right now. Now, could Jim want it to be that way? I'm sure he doesn't. But I just kind of think that's how the pieces are put together at this point. Greg Rakestraw joining us for a couple more minutes on Kevin and Query this morning. Greg, we got you on. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Indy 11 who have their home opener on Saturday against the Las Vegas Lights. What can you tell us about the Indy 11? Uh, They've had two matches so far, but heading into their uh, home opener on Saturday. A couple of really good results because they pulled four points out of six against playoff teams from last year uh, in terms of a draw against Tampa Bay three weeks ago. Uh, and, and getting a 1-0 win in miserable conditions in Detroit that seemingly are going to be replicated uh, tomorrow for, from a wind standpoint. There was wind, rain, some snow mixed in last week. Uh, I, I can't remember an Indy 11 match that was played in windier conditions than last week's match in Detroit was. So um, this, is, this is a good team they have put together. You know, They have went out and acquired some guys that have been really good players in our league for a long time. Sebastian Guinzotti, Jack Blake, Aiden Quinn, Cam Lindley, obviously, who was a local and, and played for the team some three years ago. Uh, and, and that um, you know, kind of follows up some, some moves that were made at the midway point of last season to bring in guys like Jesus Vasquez and Juan Tejada and Robbie Dambrot, who unfortunately is injured. And we'll see him in a couple of weeks, I, I think, but, but he's been out since February with a foot injury suffered in one of the preseason friendlies. But, you know, this, this should be a playoff team. Um, we'll see, and I, I think it's possible that they can compete for one of the top spots in the Eastern Conference this year. And right now they're, they're three points back or so early with a game or two in hand. They've only played twice. But the results have been really good. To put it in perspective, it took the Indy 11 five matches to have five points on the board. They've got four points on the board through two and have yet to play a home game. And they are home largely the entirety of April, with the exception of one road trip out to Orange County coming up in a couple of weeks. So it's going to be a fun team to watch. I think it's going to be a really good team. And, and so far, so good from a results standpoint now, through the embryonic stages of the season. The Las Vegas Lights have to play only night games, right? Well, since it's 1,000 degrees out there, uh, you know, usually during the summer, that's probably better for everybody involved. But, yes, I get the reference you're making. Yeah. It's like the opposite of the old Cubs, Mark, back in your That's time. right. That's correct. Uh, Greg, appreciate it. Do you, so do you have, other than the Indy 11, do you actually get time to catch your breath here over the course of the weekend? I have a, I have the rest of the weekend off. I've got to finish, you know, soccer Saturday. As the liner says, if this is your football, this is your show. That's tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. But from a, from, from a play-by-play standpoint, I was actually set to do a Butler baseball game on Sunday afternoon, and that got moved to accommodate weather. So off today – off Sunday, welcome to like the rare bit of downtime that pretty much ends for me like next week as baseball and softball start to get more ramped up from a high school and small college standpoint. But yes, a very relaxing weekend for yours truly. All right. We'll enjoy it, Greg. We appreciate the time as always. Have a good weekend. See you, bud. All right. Greg Rakestra on the Payless Liquors Hotline. One interesting note, Mark, about the uh, Las Vegas lights. Yeah. 
uh, the Las Vegas Lights in the same soccer league as the Indy 11. Uh, Las Vegas, as you know, one of the not only the fastest growing communities in the United States, but certainly from a sports center, uh, from a sports standpoint, excuse me, uh, just a massive, you know, s- growing sports community, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of yep. always on the forefront of, of what's the next big thing. I mean, they built a beautiful stadium for the Raiders. They obviously built a, a great arena. That I think it's T-Mobile for uh, the Knights of the NHL. Uh, same can be true for soccer. Uh, and again, they're well ahead of Indianapolis on this because the Las Vegas Lights in the USL play in the 9,000-seat capacity Cashman Complex, which is a multi-purpose baseball facility built 42 years ago. Mm-hmm. Also home of the uh, Vegas Vipers of the uh, yeah. XFL. So, you know, I mean – be sure to build that billion-dollar stadium to compete with the others in the league, you know, mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. markets that are that have the got to do it. Soccer ahead of time. We got the um, we got the couple casinos around here. We kind of compare, right? Okay. No, uh, let me tell you right now. It's been three months since I've said this. I'm going to say it again. When I become mayor of Indianapolis, okay. Mm-hmm. When I become the mayor of Indianapolis, we are going to have a multi multi-lined. Metrolink system like they have in St. Louis that's going to basically connect from Fishers all the way into Union Station, Union Station out to the airport via the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, going northwest up to Zionsville, stopping at Park 100, and then also at the Pyramids. Then the South Line will stop, like let's say, you know, just south of downtown, the Center Grove area down towards U Indy, and then you can do one that goes out east like Washington Square, et cetera, out towards Greenfield. It will connect all of the city virtual uh, no Jake, that's great. How are you going to pay for that? No problem. Very easy. Union Station, which is going to be the epicenter of all this, is going to become the biggest, baddest, most awesome sports book, gambling, and restaurant entertainment facility in the Midwest. It's the most gorgeous building in the state of Indiana. It's historic and there is no reason why it shouldn't be the biggest casino that anybody this side of Las Vegas or Atlantic City wants to go to and flock to. And even though um, there are other areas where you can get serious tax dollars, but the tax dollars off that alone is going to fund my Metrolink system. And then after that, once we have the Metrolink system that actually brings everybody into the commerce back to downtown so that we can fill the holes of the places that have left, then the surplus of money from that, and there will be a surplus, that surplus of money is going to go towards two things more than anything else. Number one, the public education of Marion County and the Indianapolis Public Schools. And number two, um, man on the streets and women on the streets, police. There you go. Add a, add a dispensary, and we're rolling in dough. That The problem is you're in Indiana for that one. I know. That's the problem. But as that. mayor, maybe you can, yeah. I'd have to talk to the governor about that. Time, by the way, for a morning check. Yeah. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday it was the Cubs over the Brewers 4 nothing. Yeah, Reds yeah. on the short end against the Pittsburgh Pirates 5-4. Elsewhere, teams of note, the White Sox, a 3-2 winner over Houston to start out the season. It was the Mariners blanking the Guardians 3 nothing. Cute fella of the Baltimore Orioles, 10-9 winners. It was the Rays over the Tigers 4 nothing. Twins over the Royals 2 nothing. You know, every team in Major League Baseball is actually in the Midwest. Uh, Oakland over the Angels 2-1. In interleague play, Rangers over the Phillies 11-7. Uh, Rangers tomorrow night at home. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go straight from qualifying, get in the car, and I'll probably miss the first four innings. Should I take in the Rangers game? It's a fun, fun stadium. Yeah. It's a new stadium. I know. I did it l- last year. I went to the old one, and I could see the new one being built next door. Yanks over the Giants 5 nothing, and it was the Blue Jays over the best fans, not only in baseball, but now the best fans in sports, the St. Louis Cardinals. You probably get some pretty cheap day. Rangers tickets, I'm imagining. You think so? Oh yeah, I, w- I went like day of, and it was like six bucks. Grand, this was a couple years ago, but I'm, I think 
I think you could find some. On the uh, last night market. in the NBA, Boston over Milwaukee, one forty ninety nine, a forty one point win on the heels of their win where Drew Holiday had fifty one against the Pacers on Wednesday. Holiday just six last night. Giannis had twenty four, but Tatum and Brown combining for seventy for Boston in that battle to secure the number one seed in the East. Only other game in the association, the Pelicans and Nuggets, one hundred seven eighty eight. New Orleans wins that, but Pacers in action tonight, Mark. Yep, that's right. They take on the Thunder. Uh, Tip-off is at 7 o'clock. Pre-game gets started on these airwaves at 6.30, so be sure you're locked in on that. Pacers trying to snap a four-game losing streak. What? What's the best song? Thunderstruck by ACDC is the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. What about Thunder by your Imagine Dragons? Uh, No, not even. Doesn't uh, the uh, Garth Brooks fella didn't hear a Thunder song? I wouldn't know. I'm not a country guy. Thunder rolls, Sam? Doesn't ring a bell to me. I, I I can't be wrong here, right? I, I I mean, you could be wrong. I I couldn't tell I, you. I don't if like you are, Garth though. Brooks, but like, wasn't that like a massive hit? The Thunder Rolls by Garth Brooks. Yeah, you, you, that's a title that exists. Okay. How many, Got how a many, Thunder how many by Kiss. Did that sell like two million? Riders of the Riders of the Storm by The Doors. No, that's not bad. That's a good one. According to Wikipedia, number one on the U.S. Hot Country Songs in 1991. So, you know, ten million maybe possible. Yeah, I think it was like one of his. That and I got friends in low places are like his two signature songs. Am I right? What about his? What was his? What was his? Uh, like his alternative artist name? Remember, he was like somebody else. He had like really bangs. You remember that? Garth Brooks did. I remember he's on Oprah or something. My name is Chris something. I was like, no, you're not. You're Garth Brooks. 1987, U2 Joshua Tree tour. U2 came out here. Los Lobos was supposed to open for them. Los Lobos have a tra- had a travel issue. They said that Los Lobos wouldn't be there, so. Some three-piece band came out in straw hats and fiddles and guitars and basically got booed off the stage, and it turned out it was you too. Chris Gaines. That's who it was. Garth Brooks' alter ego, Chris Gaines. That was Chris Losses, according to the uh, according to The, fans, the, the, the Billboard fans. charts. That's right. yeah. uh, Stephen Holder joins us next, mercifully. It's Kevin Aquari. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin Bowen is in Cincinnati for the day. I think he's got his shirt off after the Mike Micah Shrewsbury uh, press conference. I'm sure that's... Yeah, Cincinnati, though, big Catholic town. There are probably a lot of Notre Dame fans there. They're probably like, hell yeah, let's go, right? Probably. So you're in the aquarium. You need to put your shirt on. He should go to that hat store. I'm telling you, there's a fantastic – it's a Greek gentleman. His family business it has been there for over 100 years in downtown Cincinnati. And if you want a true, like a pork pie hat or a top hat or a derby hat, it's a place to be, man. How I'm much is that costing you, though? Oh, they're like custom made. So, like, you know, I went in there once. The guys like, you know, three hundred dollars. <laughs> okay, but it's super cool just to be in there and kind of soak in the ambiance. So, brows don't buy is what you're saying. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, joining us now in the Payless Slickers Hotline, you can read his work at ESPN.com. He was out in Arizona with Jim Irsay. Stephen Holder joins us, and Stephen, I'm going to get right to the meat of the matter. I want you to play with me a game of finish this sentence. You ready? Uh, let's see. I think I'm going to be Roger Goodell. I'm standing at a podium. I'm overlooking the crowd in Kansas City, and I say, "The fourth pick, the 2023 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select quarterback." 
Fill in the blank. I think it, I think Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. You think it's? Do you think that Richardson yesterday? Now did, has your because I can't remember. I know that I've asked you this before, right? Mm-hmm. Coming off of the combine, you know, I was told by a couple of people that Ursay, not Ballard, but Ursay really liked Will Levis. Um, I, I have no idea, like the level of accuracy to that. But do you think there has been any change since the combine, or has this been a thought you've had for a while? Um, the, the combine definitely played into it. I, I did learn a lot during the combine uh, about how they feel about Anthony Richardson. They have they have spent a lot of time investigating Anthony Richardson. That is what I can tell you. Now, my understanding is they've they've done their they they've excuse me they have done their homework on Will Levis as well and and there is a positive mm. impression of him. I have less information about. I was trying to explain this to JMV the other day because I think he he probably is along the the same mindset as you, leaning more toward Will Levis being their guy. And look, none of us really know, right? But we're just trying to read tea leaves. But what I know about their their quarterback preferences, I know more about how they feel about Richardson than Levis. So I admit to that, and maybe that is coloring my perception of this. But I do know they they have a very high opinion of, of Richardson. I also think that position here to to make the the higher upside pick. I mean, they've waited this long to do it, right? Will Levis, I have no idea what he's going to be, but I, I just think the upside with Richardson is higher. Now, so is perhaps the floor with Richardson, right? I understand that too. But I think, look, they are not winning anything this year. My my suggestion would be go with the higher upside pick so long as you check all the boxes that you need to check. And this is a long-term thing for the Colts. This is not about this year or even next year for that matter. Uh, this team is on a long-term plan, in my estimation. With that being said, with the, so many uh, holes on the roster and whatnot, do you think there's any chance they don't take a quarterback in four and maybe just take best player available or maybe even trade down? I just don't think you can justify it. I really don't. Um, I mean, if you hate the quarterbacks available to you, then by all means, do what you think you need to do. But, I mean, you would absolutely have to be convinced that these guys – can't do it you know that they are absolutely not the guy and, and I just don't think you can say that um, there's just so much ambiguity when it comes to picking quarterbacks that the truth of the, the truth is that no one knows right so if you have some if you have some sense that that this might be a viable player available to you uh, at the most important position in sports you've got the number four overall pick it's a it's a golden opportunity I just don't think you can bypass it I, I really don't and I would, if they do, I can't wait to participate in the press conference after the draft because oh, yeah. that is going to be fireworks. ESPN Colts reporter Stephen Holder joining us on the Pale Slickers Hotline. It's Kevin and Query on a Friday morning. Uh, we haven't gotten to talk to you, Stephen, just because you're out in, uh, for the NFL owners meetings in a different time zone. So what were your biggest takeaways from the NFL owners meetings? Yeah, I, a couple things. Number one, I mean, you know, we thought about Lamar Jackson based on the comments of Jamerse and, and Chris Ballard, look, I still don't think it's going to happen, okay? I really don't. And 
I can outline all the reasons, but you've probably heard them, right? However, I would say this. No one else in the, in the NFL is talking about Lamar Jackson in as specific terms as the Colts. Like, who else? I don't think there's anybody else. I mean, they're answering very specific questions and leaving the door literally wide open to the idea of acquiring Lamar Jackson. That is a very different thing than actually going out there and doing it. All I'm saying is they're the only team that, that has seemed, uh, publicly at least, to do that. And I think that's notable. I really do think it's notable. Uh, again, this is not a prediction there. it's going to happen. I don't think it will. But if and when Lamar Jackson has an epiphany and says, you know what, this ain't working out for me. I better lower my standards and expectations. If and when that happens, then maybe there's a conversation to be had, and and maybe you can engage in an actual negotiation. Whether you think it should or shouldn't happen, I still think that if if the opportunity exists, you should investigate it, and I think that's what they're doing. They've said they're doing that. And I, I think on that note, the other thing related to that, the other surprise for me was that Jim Irsay's opposition to the Lamar Jackson idea was not so much about the money, even though that's, I think he's underplaying the money. <laughs> His opposition was, well, you know, the draft compensation, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. I, to me, the two first round draft picks, I don't, I actually don't care. I really don't care about that. I, I think their quarterback situation is such that, they they have to be willing to do anything at this point. So anyway, that that was my first thought. The other thing I would say is my other takeaway from the week is there's a little bit of a, a messaging problem for the Colts because I read between the lines and I hear two individuals and Chris Ballard and Jim Mersey who are saying, we're going to take our time and do this right. But at the same time, Jim Mersey is Jim Mersey and he's talking about you know, I want to build a sustainable model and win a couple more Lombardis. And, and I'm like, well, dude, you got to walk before you crawl. So I, it's very interesting that juxtaposition. And I asked Jim Ursay, I said, look, you have been through a lot and you've been patient for a long time and the results haven't been there. I said, are you willing to be further patient and display further patience? And, and, and he did admit, you know, there's a little tug of, excuse me, a little tug of war there. So that'll be a really interesting thing to watch play out. I don't think this is going to be a quick fix for the Colts, and I think they understand that. Okay, I want to get back to that, Stephen. But at the same time, I also wanted to ask you this, because one of the things that I feel like is never talked about, I would agree with you that there are not a lot of franchises that people are, like, automatically associating with Lamar Jackson. But am I off base – and asking myself this, I'm about to sneeze, sorry. Um, am I off base in asking myself this? Like, why would Baltimore trade him in the AFC? I, am I the only one thinking about the fact of, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, and I know maybe there aren't teams just lined up, but aren't you looking to prioritize towards getting him to the NFC as opposed to the AFC? Yeah, I, I think in a perfect world, yes. I do agree with that. I just don't think this is a perfect world for the Baltimore Ravens. I think the other variable here is, and it's, it's related to the question you're asking. Look, Lamar is certainly sending signals that he's not really uh, that keen on going back to Baltimore. I mean, 
we have to ask ourselves now, it's not our problem or my problem or your problem, but just generally as football observers, we have to ask ourselves now, is that something that can be repaired, that relationship? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, particularly when he's on the franchise tag and you've got to go through this again next year if he, if he plays on that tag. Now, a year from now, they would have to do this all over again and make a decision on, on how to approach next offseason. I mean, that's exhausting. And then you have just the, the lingering, you know, feelings in the meantime and the fact that it's, it's going to be unresolved up, up until then. I don't know, man. I, I just – I think to assume that that is just going to be a, a rubber stamp situation, he goes back and he plays and everybody lives happily ever after, I think that's crazy. And I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, Lamar's a different guy, and, and I think that's something we have to take into account here. So, so I say that to say, to your question, why would they ever trade him in the AFC? Well, I mean, the, the reality is <laughs> they don't have a lot of options, and the, and the options they do have are not great. Okay, secondly, Stephen, you have covered, and it's interesting to me, the NFL owners meeting, you know, five years ago, I don't know that I ever even knew, like, when they were. Now it's kind of on that annual NFL calendar. I mean, they've done a great job of of always having things going on. But you have covered how many of these owners meetings where you've gone down and met with Jim Irsay as part of the contingency covering the Colts? Oh, a, a ton. I mean, you know, seven or eight, something okay. like that. Yeah. So his when he when he held and for those that are unfamiliar, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com is our guest on the Payless Circus Hotline. For those that are unfamiliar, in Arizona, towards the end of the time down there at the owners' meeting, Jim Irsay, where he was staying, had those that covered the Colts come to sit down and kind of a fireside chat type thing. In that capacity, versus other years that you have covered Jim Irsay at different points where the franchise was sitting, his demeanor, his mood, everything was the same, different, whatever from years past. I would actually say pretty similar. It's, it is very interesting. He, listen, he is, he will never not be fascinating. Okay. I think when you talk about years where they had uh, had great success, years where uh, they had had just really difficult times. I mean, he has always been in a really engaging conversation. It's always been very thoughtful. Uh, he, <laughs> Mike Wells and I, my old friend, we talk about this one all the time. Actually, uh, KB was there this time. I think maybe about 2015 or 16 when he hosted us on a yacht. That's true, at a marina in Florida. Now, I'll, I can't say I've ever done another interview on a yacht that's the only one but that was a very typical thing where you know he had us in and the, you know there's a living room on there and we sat down and we all kind of chatted and uh look that's just his thing he he loves to kind of be the center of attention and and not in an egotistical way more so in in terms of just being he likes to host and that sort of thing and i mean we went over to his hotel suite at a at a completely different uh venue the where than where the owners meetings were being held, and you know that's just kind of in line with how Ursay uh, carries himself with these things. So I, I'm kind of rambling here, but that's it was very similar, and and I think right in line with with how he's always operated. He just loves to talk about his football team and and kind of I think enjoys hearing what others think about it as well. 
Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline for just another minute. Stephen, uh, who do more NFL owners hate, Daniel Snyder or Jimmy Haslam because of that guaranteed contract he now to Deshaun Watson? Oh, boy. That is a great question. In fact, my next story, I've, I've just just recently here turned it in, and it will run in the next few days. My my next story is about you know, whether there has been any momentum toward um, other fully guaranteed contracts after what the Haslam's did in Cleveland with, with Deshaun Watson. And let me tell you, the answer is no, okay? They are not trying to hear it. They hate that guy. Okay, that is true. Uh but I don't. I think Daniel Snyder, though, in in one respect, he has brought them public shame, you know, and that is like a different problem for them. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the Haslam thing is an annoyance. With with Snyder, even though really Ursay's been the only guy to publicly kind of lambast him. I just think they don't want to deal with that stuff. You know what I mean? They don't want to be asked these questions. They don't want to have to hear it. They want to go on TV and talk about what a wonderful league they have and, and how successful they are and how much money they make. That's all they really care about. And now they have to deal with this guy, just constantly dragging them down. And I think they're annoyed and they're just exhausted with him. So Haslam, they're annoyed with, I think, you know, with Snyder, even though he's probably not the only owner who has skeletons in his closet with Snyder, it's just publicly made them have to deal with things that, that they just do not want to talk about. Yeah. Snyder's got the Paris catacombs in his closet. I mean, there's a difference, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Hey, for sure. Steven is a, um, is an IU guy. I mean, I grew up a diehard IU fan. I think that fandom's kind of waned now because I just, I don't know. Like I, you know, I have an objectivity about me now, right? I'm older, but but I know that like my friends that went to IU and everything else. I use a basketball school. Everybody loves IU basketball, and every once in a while, a couple years ago, for example, you know, the football team had a great year, went and played in the Gator Bowl, and people are like, "Man, it's cool. Oh, it's fun. The football team's great. You know, go Hoosiers. When's basketball season start?" <laughs> Safe to say that as a Miami graduate, the same thing happens with the basketball team being in the Final Four. How big a deal is this to the Miami community? From I mean, I'm saying from the University of Miami community. I'm assuming that is it is yeah. it a good analogy? Hey, this is awesome. Uh, win spring practice. A hundred percent. Okay, so here is my barometer. I got a group chat, you know, text messages with my my closest friends from college. There's five of us. We all are in this group chat, just, you know, talk about the kids and families and all that, right? And so we talk about football, about the Miami football program, probably about 80% of the time in this group chat. (laughs) And then suddenly in the last, like, two weeks, someone started texting about basketball. And And then there'd be another text about basketball. And then it became a flurry of text about basketball until last Sunday where it was like, oh, my God, do we have to go to Houston? And we all just kind of were like, what, what's happening here? No, it is exactly like you just said. It's a perfect analogy because while the basketball team has, even before this, right, even before going to the Final Four, the basketball team at Miami has had much more recent success than the football team. That is true. They have been consistently, like, pretty good. But your epicentered memories in college are of football, and that's what oh, you're chasing, right? 
A hundred percent. I can't even, I mean, and there were some moments with the basketball team. I remember the John Salmons era, if anybody remembers that guy. Like, you know, we had some moments and were relevant and, and won some big games, beat some some blue blood, excuse me, blue blood, tongue twister programs from time to time, but it wasn't ever anything consistent. And also it, always, it was always like, yeah, but, you know, we're still a football school. And that mentality has never changed. Whether it should or shouldn't is not the point, but that mentality has never changed. And and, and, and at the end of the day, look, Florida, college basketball is fun. You know, like the University of Florida has been a fantastic program for many years. Florida State has a great program that Leonard Hamilton has run down there for many years. And at the end of the day, people just kind of like, it's something to pass the time. It's a football state, period. All right, feet to the fire, Stephen. Your Hurricanes playing in the national championship, and if so, against two. Oh man, listen, give me, give me Miami FAU. I want all the chaos. Mm-hmm. I, I want them to burn it all down. I want to see that. I just, I don't think the rest of the country wants to, but I just want to see it. I want chaos, and I want everybody to be completely just appauled. You know, Stephen, so let's I don't, do it. I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, just based on current events, there are some plans in parts of Florida to burn it down anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, interesting place. Okay, let me ask you this. You get your choice right now. You ready? Yeah. Canes win two games and they are your national champions or the football program returns to the college football playoff in the next three years. One or the other, but you can't have mm. both. Which one are you going with? Mm. Oh, my God. You know what? I, I think I want to I be in the college football playoff. <laughs> I just, it, yeah. Yep. I, that's so sad. It's so sad. There but you I, go. I got to be honest. I, I, hey, at least you're being honest, right? I, I mean, listen, it, you know why? Because this is this is like icing on the cake, man. Okay, let me just say, like, this basketball situation is just icing on the cake. It's like, oh, this is house money in Vegas. That's all this is. It's like, all right, they made a run. Oh, shoot. But the thing is, you're oh never going to be this close again. You know what I mean? I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, yeah, Jim Lerner right. is a heck of a no, coach, no, but, but you get right. what I'm saying, right? And then, yeah, you're- so so here's the scenario. Miami upsets UConn. Miami wins the national championship over San Diego State. Jim Laranega says, I can go no higher than this at Miami. I'm over 70 years old. I've had a great career. I've taken two schools to the Final Four. And Miami cuts down the nets and celebrates. And then finds out that Dusty May and Florida Atlantic stayed in the stands to watch the game. And they go over and they get to dusty may and they say it's 42 miles away from where you're currently working and he becomes your next coach at miami right i yeah i mean i guess that that's like not a ridiculous scenario honestly that, that's like a very plausible scenario because i'll tell you why <laughs> because if miami if laranaga leaves miami i don't think they go out and i don't think they can go out and get necessarily i know this sounds ridiculous if they want a national championship but like they're not a it's not an automatic. It's not a place where you can automatically win, right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, he's a hell of a coach. I, I don't think he gets enough credit for being a, yeah. a really good coach because you look at he's his fantastic. track record. Every place that he left, that the the program where he left had success for like three years, and then the water found its level, right? I mean, like he clearly yeah. has been the guy, um, and he's you know he can dance decently for a seven year old guy. He's kind of cool. He's he's like Larry yeah. David. He's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, this is your your IU, you know, scenario that you painted is a hundred percent right. I mean, this is like IU being in the national championship game in football. 
That's exactly what this is. And I mean, who could duplicate that, right? I mean, who could do that? Did right? you ever so see I, that, Stephen? You're probably too young. Are you familiar with the made-for-TV movie called The Day After? Came out like in the mid '80s. It was a it was a movie that was made about the post-apocalypse, basically a post-nuclear war. Okay, okay right, it like right. put the fear of God in everybody. Uh, when I was a kid, I actually thought it was a movie that was made about the day after Indiana winning the national championship in football. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you because know, basically the same thing. <laughs> Ain't yeah. ever gonna happen, right? All right, Stephen, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much for jumping on with us, and have a great weekend. Go Hurricanes, right, guys. go Canes. Stephen Holder on the Payless Leaguers Hotline. We are way over. We'll get you on the other side. Kevin and Query, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's Kevin and Query on a Friday. I'm Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bone, who's scouting the streets of Cincinnati doing God knows what. Uh, for the World Series parade. Oh, he's, for the Reds? Yeah, yeah. He's scouting it out. Well, no, just a slight setback yesterday. The Reds lost 5-4 to the Pirates. That's okay, though. I'm sure, he's kidding. What, what, is, what is it? The uh, Do you ever have Skyline Chili? Have you ever had that before? The three-way? You ever done that? The Skyline Chili version I'm talking about. Mark. What? Or five-way? Three-way? What is it? Who's been to a Reds game and not had Skyline Chili? I've never had Skyline Chili in my life. Well, how long have you been a communist? Quite off. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> Let me ask you this. It's Major League Baseball opening day yesterday, mm-hmm. right? You are a Cubs fan. Yes, correct. Tell me the five players that you remember seeing play when you like when you think about when you first watched the Cubs. Give me the five players that are like kind of fainted memories of your childhood. Oh, fainted memories? Like, you know what I mean? Because it was like, or, or your your baseball memories mm-hmm. of the first World Series that you watched or oh, the geez. first players that you really grasped what was going on. See, they're probably more White Sox memories than Cubs memories when I was younger because we went to more White Sox games because my grandpa had season tickets. So he'd give them to us so we'd see like Robin Ventura and Frank Thomas and all those guys. So it was almost more White Sox memories than Cubs memories. And then I was like, well, why don't we go to Cubs games? And my dad looked at me like I had a third eye. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, I like the Cubs. I like Sammy Sosa. And, and I like uh, Mark Grace and Ryan Sandberg and stuff. And he's like, what? And he looked at me like he was about to disown me. He didn't, though. So what was the first World Series that you remember watching? Boy, first World Series. I mean, my memory's going, I feel like. So it's probably one of the Yankees ones and like the... 90s. Okay. I've, I've watched ones before that. I mean, there were a lot. The ones that were actually like, yeah, ones that I kind of remember are the, probably the Yankees dynasty ones. So I, I have a blurred memory of the 78 series between the Dodgers and Yankees. I, I, I remember Reggie Jackson in that series, but like, I don't, I don't know that I grasped what was going on. I really recall my first one that I really remember, like watching and and being aware, like from one game to the next. You know what the score was in games was the '79 We Are Family Pirates against the Orioles. The Bucks and the Birds is what I remember my dad telling me it was called. 
and that 79 NLCS team for Pittsburgh beat the Reds. Mm -hmm. And I was a Reds fan because my sister liked the Reds and, you know, my dad liked the Reds. And of course that was coming off of, that was kind of the, that 79 team, that was the last push for the big red machine really before, you know, they really broke it up. I mean, they were trying to transition to to Danny Dreesen and, you know, Tony Perez was out and, I remember seeing Johnny Bench playing first, you know, um, later seeing Pete Rose playing first. I liked Joe Morgan a great deal. And I think a big part of my Reds fandom comes from, as I mentioned this on the show several times, but, you know, I remember when I was a kid and we would go to Kings Island, the log flume, there was a Reds gift shop right there. Mm-hmm. So I would see the jerseys hanging, and so I just knew I associated the Reds with like the fun family day of going to the amusement park and whatever else when I was really little. And then we'd go to Riverfront, and uh, first game I went, first Major League Baseball game I ever attended was 1982, a doubleheader Reds and Giants, and I went with Marshall Gephardt and Jay Ferguson and, and our dads, and there was there was this just this magic right about walking in the stadium and seeing the pennants and and getting a plastic batting helmet that was always the big like the whole drive down to Cincinnati I would sit there and and just go over in my mind like which team I wanted to get that time because uh-huh. I knew I was going to get one you know was it filled with ice cream they did they had, they had the little ones that did the ice cream yeah. or you could buy the big ones that had the the plastic thing on the inside to adjust and you could wear it it yeah. looked like a batting uh-huh. helmet. Uh, and it always had a sticker that said, this helmet, not for actual protection. You're like, really? Oh, we tested that out. Yeah. But we had, I had an A's one because of Ricky Henderson. I had a White Sox one that was in the Ron Kittle mm-hmm. color scheme. Uh, I had a Cubs one. I had a Reds one. I think I got a Yankees one at one point. But there was just all of that magic is what you always, I think, that's the beauty of opening day in Major League Baseball is it awakens that back in you. Mm-hmm. There's a romanticism about it that I, I hope the people that I'm, that are hearing what I'm saying can understand because I'm hoping that they can relate to their own variation thereof. I mean, I remember, you know, Gary Reedus I mentioned yesterday and Eddie Milner and Paul Householder, you know, those guys had come through and played for the Indians here, and, and the Reds would come and play an exhibition, and it just meant the world to you when you were a kid. And I hope, Mark, I don't know this, but I hope that that still exists for kids with Major League Baseball. I feel like that now, when I was a kid, and I know that I just sound like an old guy over and over here, but when I was a kid, we would play, in the summertime, my friends and I would play home run derby. Uh-huh and a lot of basketball. In the wintertime, we would play pickup gym at the local school or at the Y. And in the fall and probably through the into the summer, we played a lot of backyard nerf football. But the sport that we played recreationally with my with my buddies was was usually which everyone was in season. And I feel like now like the NFL is always in season. Yeah. It's year round as is the NBA to a mm-hmm. great extent. And so that makes me wonder if kids today, and I know that the travel baseball thing is massive, 
But part of me wonders if two things. Number one, if kids are so busy playing baseball in, a, in an organized fashion almost year-round now in the travel baseball that, that the joy isn't gone a little bit and that the magic of going to a big league game or seeing that kind of thing, you know, like the sandlot, yeah. that that stuff just hasn't escaped us a little bit. And, and baseball to me and the magic of opening day of baseball is the fact that I think for so many people, the game of baseball represents the last thread that we hold on to to the innocence of our childhood, which also meant the innocence of we as a people. And I think that people, that's what opening day means to people. And and it's special and it's fun and it's unique. And as a Reds fan, you hold on to that until, uh, you know, at least the middle of May when you're eliminated. And the Cubs, you might make it to mid-June. Hey, right? no. Easy. Still one of the best smells in life is walking through the gates of a ballpark and getting that smell of, hot dogs and bratwurst going and just the fresh grass that's cut and everything like that, no better smell. If there was a cologne, I would wear it. If it was ballpark scent, douse me in it. Um, Girls can't wait to go to the Indians like the game beach. tonight. Oh, like the beach, yeah. <laughs> Somebody stole my idea. That's I'm right. sure that's out there somewhere, bratwurst or, you know, ballpark Did scent. You, so you had a debate with Jeff Rickards about the Sandlot, but I saw him – Arguing with you this is this going on. This is over a year long debate. Yeah, we uh, we were back when this is the fan morning show. We uh, we had a debate because it was opening day and I played the Sandlot. And he's like, "Well, I thought you were playing baseball songs." And I said, "Well, I am." He's like, "Well, Sandlot's not a baseball movie." And I said, "Yes, it absolutely is." What are you talking about? So it's about more about friendship and everything like that. And he told sent me the author of the book says more about friendship. I'm like, their whole friendship, their whole bond is over their love of baseball and playing baseball. Therefore, it is a baseball movie. But we had this debate. It's been going. It'll never end because he's wrong and I'm right. But it it goes on forever. That yeah, he he believes it's not a baseball movie. It's more of a friendship and camaraderie movie. And I say it is absolutely a baseball movie. Uh, with friendship and stuff sprinkled around it. You know, without baseball, there is no bond. There is no I, friendship. I, I did see yesterday there was a list of best baseball movies, and The Sandlot was not on it, I don't think. But I'm with you. Did Jeff Rickard write that article? I mean, I'm with you in the fact that to say that it's not a baseball movie, but it's a movie about friendship that just happens to incorporate baseball is saying that, like, I mean, I realize Titanic's a love story, but it's, a, it, you know, yeah, but you're it, waiting for about the, the ship, waiting for right? the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we had we had full phone lines the whole three hours. I mean, is Rocky not a boxing movie? But it's a movie about perseverance that happens to involve boxing. Yeah, you know, you could make that argument all day long. What did most people say? Oh, I was right, of course. So what's there's a couple that said that said oh, I agree. It's about friendship, but again, without the baseball. Then. So what's the most overrated baseball movie? Oh boy, uh, most overrated. Overrated baseball. I'll tell you the one I thought was super cheesy, and maybe it's because I was a kid, and maybe I need to resee it, rewatch it. Mm -hmm. I thought the Natural was really dumb. That's a that's that's the one that I thought my parent. I, I mean, my mom had a huge crush on Robert Redford back in the day. She said, oh, this movie's so great. I'm like, is it though? Like, I just remember him hitting the light and the sparks going out. I, I mean, the, I'm like, okay, how long is this movie? Didn't he Two like more fall hours in love with this rehab nurse, and yeah, and and then he when he hit the home run that that. You know, sent the like basically the lights into firework type things. I just thought it was super cheesy. Yeah, I, I I'm not a fan of. And Mac Engel, my buddy Mac Engel, bought a what was his name, 
Roy Hobbs. Roy Hobbs, yeah. He bought a Roy Hobbs New York Knights jersey, and it was like flannel. And the poor guy wore it one time when we were playing home run derby at Allisonville, and it was like 95 degrees outside, and Mac refused to take it off because it was a cool-looking jersey, and we were playing baseball. But I'm like, dude, you're going to die of heat exhaustion. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I needed Mac to survive because he was the guy that then drove me to the hospital when I had my heart attack. Oh, boy. Yeah, Angels in the Outfield. Give me that movie all day long. Oh, terrible. Oh, get out of here. Terrible. See, that's another childhood memory of mine. I get it. That's a great one. I mean, one. That's, that's age bias for sure. Sandlot, Rookie of the Year. Give me more of that. Henry Rowan Gardner all day. What about the rookie? I think the rookie's underrated. Which one's that one now? Why am I thinking? About Jim Morris. Isn't that his name? The guy for the Rays that was the thirty true story, 35-year-old high school pitcher that gets the you know his team. The Tony Danza? That was uh, Dennis Quaid, wasn't it? Yeah, Dennis Quaid. No, I don't yeah. think I ever saw that one. The Rookie, I think, at least as it's aged, I think gets the amount of credit it deserves. It was a good movie, but it also is very much a product of its time. Like an early 2000s inspirational film. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, it was, but it was based on a true story, so that part's cool. You League know, of I, Their Own, that's another great one. How about Eight Men Out? It was filmed here. I don't think I've seen that one either. Come on. What? Well, you're familiar with it, right? I'm familiar of it. It's but about your White Sox, for crying out loud. It's not my White well, Sox. your dad's White Sox. I mean, I've seen Field of Dreams. That's basically the same now, thing. Now, is Field of Dreams a baseball movie? Another age-old debate, right? People debate that till the cows come home. I say it is. If, if it's not a baseball movie, what's it do on MLB Network every other Saturday in the offseason? Um, now, I, I, I just jumped all over you for the eight-men-out thing, so I apologize. I will walk that back, and I'll tell you why. Do you remember my confession last year when the Reds and Cubs were playing? I do not. It's... Closing in on nine seventeen in the morning on this, the thirty first day of March. Is that right? Yeah. I have never seen Field of Dreams. Hmm. That's okay. I've never seen a Rocky movie. Ooh. Are you serious? I'm serious. You don't know how the Cold War ended? I don't. Oh man. I'm assuming it's still going on. Well, at least it was paused because of Rocky IV. Yeah. No, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never seen a Rocky movie beginning to end. Nor a uh, Creed movie, which I heard those are great, too. Actually, the Creeds aren't bad. They are not bad. Do you know something that a, a unique characteristic about me that I could totally impress you with and i might do it this morning just to round out the week i have a unique ability but i've got to check the date on something i have a oh wait a minute what's today the 31st yes we just so established that yesterday well no I, I know today's the 31st i'm looking i thought the indiana syracuse game and the key smart shot was on march 31st it was on the 30th mm -hmm. so yesterday ah but this week at least and we're talking 36 years ago. Now, I have the ability, Mark, to do something that I've done once before on live radio when I did a show with Derek Schultz. Mm -hmm. And Derek was mortified and unbelievably impressed at the same time. Okay. And I think we even uploaded it at one point because so many people 
asked me to do it again. They were like, this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard. It's a little bit pathetic. I don't know it's something I should be proud of. Did you belch the alphabet or something? No. But at the same time, I think people in this area love the few times that I've ever done it. Not because of me, but because of what they're able to just sit and listen to. Mm -hmm. And it's music to their ears. Now, the question is this. With you sitting in that seat and Sam in the seat he's in, we would obviously have to do it after a break. Do you have the ability to play things off YouTube over the air? I think we're kind of getting shunned for that lately, but we might be able to, yeah. What What is it? Well, like an old television broadcast. Maybe. I don't know, Sam, you're in the producer chair. What do you say? Uh, I'm. Do we have the ability to? Yes. Is there any sort of copyright or, or legal issue we could run into? I, I suppose. No, that's not what I'm asking. Yeah, we can play stuff off YouTube, yes. Yeah, once something airs on a public broadcast, mm-hmm. it's public domain. Mm-hmm. So... Okay. I'm telling you right now, the people in this town, 70% are going to be like, that was awesome, and they're going to be impressed, and 30% are going to go, that guy needs to get a life. But everyone will be sitting in stunned silence in their car. I'm telling you. And it is something that happened 36 years ago yesterday, but the twist that, that I have for it you're going to be like, you're going to have me committed. Okay. Well, that was on the docket anyway. 1002. Hey, Jake, someone's down in the lobby for you. I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. By All the right. way, it's, I'm excited. It's we'll time do it for after a the morning check down. Uh, yesterday, Major League Baseball, the Cubs over the Brewers 4 nothing. It was the Reds on the short end against the Pirates. 5-4. Hunter Green lasted four innings. I think it was three, maybe three and two-thirds, somewhere around there, uh, before he was run. And then the Pirates end up getting the win 5-4. Toronto over the Cardinals by a score of 10-9. It was the White Sox over the Astros 3-2. And cute fella, the Baltimore Orioles getting me my first win en route to my six-pack of PBR. Well, 10-9 you're going to have like 46 cans or something Red like Sox. that. You have a whole bunch, apparently. Yeah, everybody's whole... in on this thing. Uh, baseball today, only a couple teams of local interest on the docket. White Sox take on the Astros again at 8-10. Guardians and Mariners on the West Coast, that's 10-10. And locally, the Indianapolis Indians have their season opener tonight against the Omaha Storm Chasers. First pitch scheduled for 7.05. Uh, there is some storms in the area, unsurprisingly, because both the Storm Chasers and the That's Thunder right. in town, which seems storm- uh, seems pre-planned. You think the awkward thing is the Omaha Storm Chasers are just hanging around the Conrad looking for the Thunder? Yeah. Where's that Shay Gillis? <laughs> like, what, do you, what, does he, what does this guy want? I mean, that seems, seems like it'd be uncomfortable, right? Yeah, you would think so. Uh, did you mention the association last night? I did. I briefly mentioned okay. it. Uh, Celtics routed the Milwaukee Bucks 140 to 99. Jason Tatum 40 points, and the Pelicans topped the Denver Nuggets 107-88. Only two games on the NBA slate last night. That gets a little bit more heavy today when the Oklahoma City Thunder visit the Indiana Pacers at seven o'clock. Pre-game coverage starts at six thirty right on these airwaves. Make sure you uh, tune in for that one. Uh, congratulations to Terry Moran, by the way, who is the AP Women's. NCAA Basketball Coach of the Year. No surprise whatsoever because the Hoosiers 
winning the Big Ten, being ranked in the top three for the majority of the season, and then, of course, landing a number one seed in the NCAA tournament before being upset by Miami. But still, fabulous season for Indiana women's basketball. Mm -hmm. And then on the uh, IndyCar circuit, you'll be uh, heading to Texas a little later today, correct? That is correct. That race, as a matter of fact, can be heard right here on this radio station. I, be I believe coverage begins at 1130 on Sunday. So first oval of the season and kind of the precursor every year towards what we might see of who is fast for the Indianapolis 500 coming up in May. That's right. All right. Pop quiz is up next. It's a freebie Friday, 317-239-1070. Jake and I will give uh, give you out Scotty's five questions. Uh, whether you win or lose on the five questions, you'll get the Jiffy Lube oil change. 317-239-1070. And Jake will round out the show with whatever this glorious tease is. That's so we'll right. figure that out. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I have, I have. I had to clarify a couple names on here. That's always good. <laughs> yeah, I know. So there are hockey questions is what you're saying. There is a hockey question, yes. One hockey question, Couple, quite a few baseball ones, though. I think, the yeah, all, all four other ones are baseball related. Okay. It's Freebie Friday, though. So even if you go for five, still walking away with the Jiffy Lube oil change. Play a little get change. to know your listener as well. That's right. Everybody loves it. Uh, Mark, Sweeping you give us a number. Charts. Let's go with, what is it? It's like... What's the fifth day of the week? Five. Five is Craig. Craig. Yeah. What's up, man? Hey, how are you? How's it going? Pretty good. Craig, what high school did you attend? Marion High School. Oh, what year? I was there from 85 to 89. Buddy, you were there in the glory years. Yes, I was. Now, if he had not played with Jay Edwards, do you think Lyndon Jones still would have been a Mr. Basketball contender? Yes. Okay. Um, do you believe that Derek Keyes is the most underrated performer in Marion basketball history? Uh, Derek Keyes is a good friend of mine, so um, I think so. I think Derek was uh, amazing. Had he not had the knee injury at Wake Forest, he'd have been a hell of a player there, right? Oh, he would have. He, he was a he was a hell of a uh, football player too. Uh, um. The guys my year, Jeff McPherson was a quarterback and a, and a basketball player at Marion. He was a pretty good athlete, right? Yeah, he was the quarterback for me uh, my senior year. Okay, and then Jerry he, Freshwater. He was years behind me. Jerry Freshwater was my senior year, so he would have been – he had, and I always thought Freshwater was a pretty nice player. He just had the misfortune of following Purple Rain, right? Right, and plus he was 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, yeah, he was a little guy. He's good, though. He's a good player. He was a great – and a great kid. Um, all right, Craig, so you live in Indy, obviously, now, right? No, sir. I'm up in Fort Wayne now. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. and, you, and you still listen to the program? Every day. And, and if you um, if you were going to come to the PBR party, Diet Cokes are perfectly sufficient, uh, and, and sit down with either myself, Mark, or Kevin, which one would you pick? Well, I would, I would pick you because we could talk about Marion basketball, and I know your love for Jay Edwards and uh, – I could give you all kinds of stories about him. So <laughs> I think everybody in Marion's got some Jay Edwards stories, right? And well, like, you know, growing up with him, and we all played power club basketball together and all that. So you know, and uh, it's just I just saw him, you know, several months ago. Eric, you were from that 
that same team, his father passed away um, from Alzheimer's, and his his brother is my best friend. So, you know, I grew you know grew up with those guys as much as everything. So they're always around. So, man, Jay was so naturally gifted. Man, I mean, he just was the dude. Just yeah. had no fear, just as smooth no. as could be. Fun to watch. Yeah, um, yeah. All right, Craig, would you like for me or for Mark to lead you off with question number one? Well, go ahead. You're, you've got the mic, so have at it. All right, I appreciate it. In the 147-year history of Major League Baseball, Craig, only one pitcher, only one, has thrown a no-hitter on opening day. Was it Bob Feller, Jack Morris, Lefty Grove, or Sandy Koufax? Oh. Well, I'm a huge Dodger fan, so uh, I really can't remember. But I'm not going to go with Koufax. I'll go with... Uh, Lefty Grove. Okay. Kind of like that more out-of-left-field guess, which I kind of like. Go ahead. All right, Craig, number two. In yesterday's opening day game between the Giants and Yankees, San Francisco starter Logan Webb struck out 12 Yankees, while Yankee starter Garrett Cole struck out 11 Giants, former Indianapolis Indian. Who holds the record for the most strikeouts recorded on an opening day? The Shane Bieber, Don Drysdale, Camilo Pascal, or Randy Johnson? Well, now I'm going to go with my Dodgers, and I'll go with Drysdale. Okay. Who's your favorite Dodger of all time? Koufax. Okay. Well, well, let me put it this way. I love Steve Garvey because that was my era. So. Um, yeah, he was solid, man. Solid player. Yep. I'll bet life yep. was good for Steve Garvey, don't you think? I think so. He was a ladies' man. <laughs> yeah. All right, question number three. Baltimore Orioles catcher Andy Rutschman became the first player in Major League history to go five for five. Is it Rutschman, Rutschman? Oh, Adley. Sorry. I I said Andy. Adley Rutschman. First player in Major League Baseball history to go five for five with at least four BI on opening day. Only two players who were both in the Hall of Fame went five for five with multiple RBI on opening day before him. One was Babe Ruth. The other one is a Hall of Famer and also happens to be the grandfather of former First Lady of Indiana, Sherry Daniels. He was sitting on second base when Babe Ruth called his shot in Wrigley Field. Was it Rogers Hornsby, Billy Herman, Rod Carew, or Ryan Sandberg? Well, I know it's not the last two. And it wasn't Hornsby. It's uh, the second one. Billy Herman. All right. All right, the White Sox win over the Houston Astros last night stamped the Astros' 10-game winning streak on opening day, which was tied for the Major League record for most opening day wins in a row. Who will the Astros remain tied with? The Yankees, the Brooklyn-slash-Los Angeles Dodgers, the Cincinnati Reds, or my new favorite team name, the Boston Bean Eaters? I'll go with the Dodgers. Now, Craig, you sound like a, a pretty sharp fellow, to be honest with you. Are you really from Grant County? I am. Yeah. Are you saying? Are you saying that that's the, not it's, the norm? I cra- you know it's crazy, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that's me. All right, fair enough. Uh, question number five. Put on your hockey thinking cap. The Boston okay. Bruins collected their franchise record 58th win of the season last night to clinch the President's Trophy for the best regular season record in the NHL. Name the last team to win both the President's Trophy and the Stanley Cup in the same season. Bruins, Red Wings, Blackhawks, or Capitals? Let's go with the Capitals. That was a subtle hint. That was a subtle hint. 
You want one other guess? Do, <laughs> Bruins, Jeez. Capitals, Red Wings. Or Blackhawks. And that was the hint. I think there's a county school, like in the next county over from Grant County, that uses this nickname, right? Am I wrong in that? I think you might be right. A county or two over? Yeah. But, but uh, Blackbird County? Yep, yep, yep. Should that be the Boston Bruins? No. I think Blackford's nickname is this. I think. I'm not totally they're, they're the, sure. They're the Bruins. Oh, they are? Well, and then, then that's yeah. not right. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking well, of Sheridan. Anyway, so, I'm thinking you know. of Sheridan, Craig. Oh, okay. The Blackhawks. All righty. There we go. My bad on leading you astray there. <laughs> that's yeah, that's, right. that's over there by Westfield. No, I know, but I was thinking it was Blackford Blackhawks. I mean, I knew Sheridan's a Blackhawks. Oh, no, but... no, they're the Bruins. Uh, okay, Sorry. here we go, Craig. Uh, and stay on the line because it's a freebie Friday anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, question number one, I believe you went with Lefty Grove, which is not a bad guess. Correct answer was Bob Feller for question number one. Uh, uh, stay on the line, though. Uh, who holds the record for most strikeouts recorded on opening day? Uh, he It was Camilo Pascal who did it for the Senators. In 1960, struck out 15. Billy Herman was the second baseman for the Cubs. It was on the field during Babe Ruth's called shot. Also happens to be the grandfather of Sherry Daniels, who later married Mitch Daniels. Astros um, saw their 10-game winning streak on opening day uh, snapped against the White Sox, who uh, who was tied with them for the most opening day victories in a row. It was the Boston Bean Eaters, which I need to get a hat or a jersey of because that sounds like a fun team. Is that like an anteater? It's from 1887 I mean, I to that everybody eats beans 1880, in Boston, but. 1896 that they were the Boston Bean Eaters. You think their logo was just a bee? This picture is like a can of bush beans opened with like a spoon in it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks was obviously correct for question number five. Uh, something happened 36 years ago yesterday, and it has led to one of the greatest signs of my neuroticism that people either seem to be totally enamored by or they think that I should be committed. We'll let you know about it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Almost home on a Friday morning, uh, Kevin and Query. Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen today. Jay Query here as well. Jay Query giving us quite the tease at the end of the 9 o'clock segment. How would you summarize for people that tease? Well, basically, you said that we're either going to be really impressed or really scared about what we're about to hear right now. Because you said that Derek Schultz stared at you like you, you know, went mental, but he's also impressed. So I don't know which way this is going. There are not a lot of areas where Derek ever gave me credit for anything. And this was what annoys you. At the time, well, I, I give myself enough credit on things. Uh, at the time, he just sat stunned, and then later I will give him credit because he basically was like, uh, okay, I mean, I think he knew deep down, like, okay, it, it was pretty impressive. Frightening, perhaps, but impressive. So, 36 years ago yesterday, Indiana defeated Syracuse for their last national championship. And if you're an Indiana fan, you're probably going to enjoy the next couple of minutes. If you're a Purdue fan, you're going to be probably annoyed, but at the same time, I think impressed. 
So, Mark, when you were like a junior or senior in high school, what did you do? What was your regiment getting ready for school in the morning? Uh, wake up, shower, fix my hair, listen to the alternative rock station okay. on the way in, and go off to my early bird English. Did you eat breakfast? Yeah, of course. Who, who do you think you're talking to? My junior and senior year at North Central, breakfast consisted of stopping at Bagel Fair, getting a blueberry bagel with cream cheese and a Welch's grape juice. Mm-hmm. Really nutritious. Uh, on my way in, that was when I was driving to school. But when I would wait for the school bus in the morning, I actually would eat breakfast at home and I would watch the end, the last eight minutes usually, of the Indiana-Syracuse National Championship game. And that allowed me to now verbatim on cue without missing a beat. It's been a while since I've done this, so have a heart. Um, the The entire post-game celebration and interviews between Indiana and with Indiana after the game when they beat Syracuse. So without further ado, let's go back 36 years ago yesterday. And I'll actually, I'll just narrate along with it. You ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. They're showing the crowd right now. The players milling around. Brent Musburger's trying to line up interviews. You're going to hear him here in just a second. Um, they're showing Syracuse cheerleaders reject, you know, dejected, sad. Down here with Coach Bob Knight and his hero, Keith Smart. And, Bob, your reaction now to a third championship. Well, it, it was so great. Uh, to me as a coach, it doesn't mean anything, Brent. And I, and I mean that from this uh, – sure, I'm tickled. But for these kids, for these last – they did, and to hang in the game the way they did. And for the last two years, my first thought is what these kids have done and especially what this kid right here has done. That's Steve Alford, by the way. Woo! Well, they'll go. I just know to go. We've been getting it for so long that we was going to be all right. And the shot came, just came to me, and I was able to hit it. Steve, it's been a long, long, hard road for you. We didn't know if you were going to be the man to take that last shot, but Keith stepped up and did it for you. Keith's done it all year. When they've jumped to me and guarded me tight, he's always opened up things. And he's been great to play with this year. This is all worth it, all worth it. National champs, baby. Well, nothing can match the way I feel right now, you know, but I just I'm gonna miss all these guys here and the rest of the, all the rest of the seniors. Super job for IU. Now hold on. As we take another look at it. Well, we was we was moving the ball around. And then, so I, I turned to Coleman and I faked it and moved. And then I threw it out. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, I threw him. And Bucket. It was Bucket. It was good. I just saw the same thing that Daryl saw. Joe Hellman had a lot of Red Bull, by the way. <laughs> I went right to the Bucket for a board or anything. And that was it. Now, Rick Calloway, who was hurt, by the way. I just wasn't moving on offense, so coach wanted to go to a three-guard offense, so he decided to take me out, and I was just on the, well, that's part of winning a championship ball game. I know, I'm, I'm getting ready to go find Keith and give him the biggest kiss that he ever had. Hey, mom, dad, Jamie, Trish. Yeah! 
36 years ago yesterday. I used to be able to do that absolutely verbatim, but it's a little bit hard without seeing it. But there you go. That was probably the most psychotically impressive thing <laughs> I've seen in quite a while. That was bizarre, but it was impressive. I don't know how I used to, to be able to do it absolutely in sync, but I'm not seeing it. So that makes it a little bit harder, right? I mean, I'm just listening to it. Yeah. But I, I watched it a few times. Well, it sounds like it. I don't think you got that off of one one rip. <laughs> now, I now, were just, you, now, were you were you always trying to just like memorize it? Like, would you walk it to try to memorize it? Or no. was it just because you saw it so much that it just was I just saw it so like much. an earworm? Yeah. I mean, that was the, you, you know, I mean, that was just such a magical time for me. I mean, eighth grade. So that's your that's your peak fandom years of sports. Right. I mean, it, it just and, you know, truth be told, if. And I guess Purdue was really good. I, I mean, for me as a kid, you know, my parents didn't go. My mom spent a semester at IU, maybe a year. And my dad went for a semester to Indiana Central, now University of Indianapolis. But, um, And we were raised in an environment and a background that, that you know, college was never – I mean, when, when I was in Washington Township Schools, it was not a matter of are you going to college. It was a matter of where are you going mm -hmm. to college. But for me as a as a little kid, and where my Indiana fandom began was when we went – I remember one time we went to Brown County, and so my parents were like, oh, let's go over to Bloomington. So we went to the bookstore, and I got a hooded sweatshirt that said Indiana. I mean, I was really little. And all I knew was Indiana's where I lived. Like, I don't even know that I grasped that I was wearing the sweatshirt of a university. Mm -hmm. I was wearing a sweatshirt of where I lived, Indiana. And so when we would go on spring break to Hilton Head or Florida, whatever, I would wear like something. I thought it was so fascinating to see another license plate from Indiana, you know, like, oh, man, they're from the same place I am. And then, you know, I remember my grandfather was watching an IU game and I saw on the floor the shape of Indiana. I'm like, well, that's where I live. So that must be my team. So it had nothing to do with, and it just so happened that it was the peak Bob Knight era. I mean, they were coming off of the 76 title. I remember vividly watching the 81 title, the 87 title. But I became this huge fan of Indiana University, not because of the university, not because of anything other than all I knew was it represented like where I lived. So that must mean that that's who I have to root for. I later, of course, learned that Purdue was their big rival. And I would watch Purdue games, and I didn't like Purdue, not because they were Indiana's designed rival, but truthfully, and Scott Johnson is here and probably will nod his head in agreement here, the thing that I didn't like about Purdue was when I was really little and Purdue games would be on television, the lighting in Mackey Arena was so dark that only the floor was lit. Mm -hmm. And as a little kid, like it just it didn't seem inviting and welcoming to me. And I was like, well, wh what is this? Like, who is this other team? Well, Jake, that's where, you know, they're also in Indiana, and that's where your Uncle Bob went. Uh, uh, in, you know, okay. But they, that doesn't say Indiana. And then they had guys that terrified me. Jim Rowinski was, uh, he was like this, this, I mean, he was a great player, but he looked like Dick Buckus as far as I knew. And, and they had more of those type guys. You know, Jim Bullock was a big, strong guy. So Purdue just kind of intimidated me, and Indiana just had that floor, and I never understood why it was so disproportionate to any other map I've ever seen because according to the Indiana that was at the middle of the floor at Assembly Hall, uh, Evansville was actually two miles from El Paso, mm -hmm. like the way that the, the toad dipped down. I mean, it was ridiculous, the, 
proportion of it. But that was why I loved Indiana. And so I watched them religiously. And then, you know, I, I ended up going to school there ultimately. And, and, you know, my freshman year of college, they went to the Final Four, Knights' last Final Four. And then things just kind of changed for me. And, like, I don't know. I'm not going to say that I outgrew it. But you could ne- – I think I realized that when you have a team that was undefeated when you were three, won a national title when you were nine, won another one when you were 14, and went to the Final Four when you were a freshman in college, you're chasing a high that you're never, ever going to f- match again. So it just, for me, became more of an observation of kind of the science of the X's and O's versus the fanaticism of it. And I knew that if I was going to do this for a living – that I had to have an objectivity to be able to rationally explain or opine on the goods and the bads of a team. And I was able to just remove myself from all of it. And then in addition to that, that allowed me to then have a respect for Purdue. And they also fixed the lighting. That helped. (laughs) That helped. You know what I mean? And, And so that's why I think, Mark, people that get on me about, you know, I'm an IU hater or whatever else. It has nothing to do with that and more so. And maybe it's even overcompensatory, but you try to be able to be balanced in offering your opinions and insights and observations of a a program. Mm -hmm. No, I understand. I mean, you get a lot of your sport, a lot of your best sports memories when you're a kid because that's when you're – you're seeing, you know, lots of things for the first time, and you just you have the best memories there. You, oh man, I wish you can go play street hockey with the boys again in the neighborhood or something like that. There's those memories that you have from back in the day. So if you recall that and you watched a lot of the IU championship celebration, I can see why that stuck with you for all these years, and it's impressive that you can, you know, retain that information for that long a time. Because I know I can't even remember what like I had for lunch like two days ago. So. Hey, Jake, your IU fan story was part of why Purdue fans growing up hated IU. Fans that were vehement fans only because they lived in the state. They knew nothing about the school itself. I, but how many people that were Purdue fans? Yeah, I guess if you're a Purdue fan, it's because probably you did have a connection to Purdue. But I don't think that that's unusual. I mean, for it's why when people get mad here, Mark, when they're like, you guys talk way more IU than Purdue. It's because there is a larger – there are two reasons why there are more Indiana fans than Purdue fans in Indianapolis. Two reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one, for that exact reason just mentioned there, right? And if that makes me a bad guy, so be it. But that's the reality, right? And the other one is because Indiana graduates typically – you know, it's a business degree or whatever else. It's a, it's a less specified esoteric degree – which allows you to just move back to Indianapolis and get any of 10 different jobs. Purdue's degrees are so outstanding. So I'm saying this as a true tip of the cap pat on the back to Purdue University. Purdue University's degrees and the reason that someone primarily would go there, their business school now is way up there. But the engineering aspect of Purdue University is such that it is so coveted nationwide because it is such a degree of prominence and clout that a Purdue graduate gets a job and moves to Houston or San Diego or Seattle or whatever because that degree means a ton and that allows them more options of where they can go and live. And so you have an alumni base that is more spread out as opposed to more concentrated. Mm -hmm. I have always felt, and this is true probably of most schools, Indiana is a state that has a fantastic land-grant school at Purdue and a fantastic basically liberal arts university within Indiana. And 
I think it is just outstanding that we have multiple state universities in this state to offer fabulous educations, whether it be for teaching, as Indiana State does, which is great, communications, as Ball State does, which is great, and then the aforementioned Indiana and Purdue aspects of it. I get that rivalries are created in that, but like I know people that went to IU and they're like, my kid will not go to Purdue. Well, what if they want to be an engineer? I don't care. They can go to Rose Holman. They're not going to Purdue. Mm. Come on. Yeah, that's a bit excessive. So you're going to uh, Texas, what, tonight? Yeah, so I fly out, um, assuming the weather holds up. Uh, you know what I should do is uh, stop by wherever the storm chasers are that are here to play the Indians and yeah, ask them. They got their faces pressed against the uh, – <laughs> So fly out tonight. Pacers practice uh, Land in Dallas-Fort Worth area tonight. Then tomorrow we'll be practicing qualifying for the race on Sunday morning and then basically straight from the track to the airport and back here Sunday night and back at it on Monday. I I don't know if I'll go to the Rangers game or not tomorrow. I'd like to, but it's about 45 minutes from the racetrack. And the traffic there can get you know become a little. I've been much. told Taylor Swift's in town for like three nights straight, so he might. What be What time is her concert? I mean, I'm guessing in the evening at some point. Because the game, the Rangers play at three o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, that that I think you'll be okay, um, but it might be the getting out part that might be a little bit problematic. Well, I'll be going. I'll be a salmon at that point, right? Yeah. Swimming against everybody going in the opposite mm-hmm. direction? Yep. Now, what's your weekend look like? This is this has to be, Mark, one of the few weekends where I'm going to be at a Bucky's and you're not. I know. It's very disappointing. No, I went to my, my share of Bucky's for a little bit last week. So, uh, no, we are going, weather, uh, weather permitting, we are going to the Indians game tonight, whole family. Girls are excited to see Rowdy, so we'll see if that holds. The, the- oh, I'm getting the beer bat. If it's there, I'll, I'll be in line. So... I'll try to do that, and then we are off to uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, I think later today, I'm gonna try to. It was my my youngest daughter's second birthday on Tuesday. We're going to attempt to go to the ch- the uh, children's museum over there uh, and ch- take that all in and all that hang stuff. On, what? Hang on. What? What? And I applaud that you. I think your daughters are going to be very spoiled. No, I, I think it's I think it's great because like when I was a kid. We lived in, when I was born, my parents lived in Shelbyville. I was born in Indy, but my parents lived in Shelbyville. When I was two, we moved to Evansville. When I was three and a half, we moved back to Shelbyville. And then when I was just about to turn six, we moved to Indianapolis to the house my parents still live in. And, you know, we, we, so I have very clear memories of those different places because they're just very clear, Mm -hmm. like divides in your mind. But I also remember the little trips that we made, like to St. Louis or once we went to New Orleans in the car with my sisters. They're very fond memories. So I think it's awesome that your daughters will experience that, and they will not forget that when they're my age. Um, all of that to be said, the largest children's museum in the world is at 30th and Illinois I know. Street. Well, we were just there. Probably have done we've that been there. Times. Yeah, we, this year alone, we think we've been there five or six times already. So Do they still have like the ramps in the middle of it because that was always my favorite thing. The ramps? Yeah. I don't believe so. Just what you do to go between floors? Yeah. And there's the big glass. Oh, that. Yeah, they have yeah. that part. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I thought you meant like in the middle. Like no, they by, don't like, have the, the cave anymore, right? No, the cave isn't there. They have a huge dinosaur section now. I think they're getting uh, Dinosaur Train, which is a big PBS show. That's going on, and I think they've got Minecraft coming soon. So all the they kids still have that. the the Bowen Lab on like the fifth floor. It's the so it's got like 
pickup trucks and and like cranes and like shows like how, no. how stuff is, that has been transformed into a stem center i believe because yeah. the bowen lab that's my uncle bob bowen bowen engineering well my cousin doug bowen now bowen no relation to kevin though no relation to kevin but same spelling of the last name so gotcha. if you're on meridian street and you see bowen engineering that's my cousin doug who i've always been very proud of he and bob like you know, just to be able to say I'm related to him is pretty cool. And when people tell me that I'm a Purdue hater, I'm like, really? Okay, well, my uncle actually has a building and a lab name for So, me. real quick before we get off the show, uh, your Final Four prediction, who will be playing in the national championship? Um, I think Connecticut is I, – I mean, they are just – if they continue what they've done, I don't know that – I think Connecticut may be able to set the record for the largest margin of victory – in tournament history over the course of a tournament. However, I think it's probably only a 15% chance this happens, but there are teams that absolutely barnstorm through the first two weekends of the tournament that then the final four, all of a sudden, like the layoff kicks in. Mm -hmm. And I think that might happen, and I think Miami's resiliency defensively could carry them. So I will say Miami over... I'll say over San Diego State. Okay. I've got FAU Miami. Kevin will let you know on Monday that he – I had it the whole time. FAU, I, listen, it, it it's probably stupid of me to, to rule out Florida Atlantic and the possibility that they could do it because, you know, I mean, they've won 35 games for a reason, right? No question about it. Uh, enjoy Columbus, all right? Enjoy Texas. All right. right, will do. We will talk to everybody on Monday. You folks have a great weekend. This has been Kevin and Query.